This station is being brought to you via Nolsoft Shoutcast streaming technology. For more information, visit shoutcast.com. Vote Sebastian for president of the official Star Wars fan club. Sebastian will ensure that this fandom sees an announcement of the fourth Star Wars celebration before the summer comes. Sebastian will appear all over the fandom in order to maintain the power of the Force, strong in the arts of all Star Wars fans. Sebastian will include Star Wars Galaxies in the membership kit. He's crazy, he's got vision, and like Troy Denning said, Sebastian for president. And of course, if you vote for Sebastian, anyone can carry a blaster. Vote Sebastian for president. Go that way. You'll be malfunctioning within a day, you know, that scrap pile. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Are you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerdhole? You call that slimy piece of worm-ridden filth? You'll get no such pleasure from us. Parental discretion is advised. Star Wars on Direct is brought to you by SimpleNet. With SimpleNet, obtain a low-cost advertising for your company or, quite simply, a space to put your personal website online. Join us at www.simple-net.ca. Disruption can mean only one thing. Here they come! The cognitive factor means pulling us in. You may fire when ready. Commence primary ignition. And welcome to Star Wars on Direct, the voice of Star Wars fandom, on this edition of March 5th, 2006, and it's going to be a very special edition, because for the third time, people, Karen Travis is coming to the show to discuss Star Wars Republic Commando Triple Zero. That's right, the boys are back, and they're back in black, just to be funny. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, we're going to have all our regular subject, uh, we're going to have our regular news, we're going to have our fan audio news, our collecting news. We're going to have our, like, fan activity news, because I'm going to, like, go do that when my other friends are doing their news, because I was too busy reading my book this week. <laughs> it was such an incredible book. All right. Brian, how can people actually contact us today, which is, like, an earlier show, first of all, we got to say that, but how can people actually contact us and come with us to ask questions to Karen during the show? You can send us an email at studio.swendirect.com. You can join us on our Star Wars on Direct chat, our Star Wars on Direct webcam, our Star Wars on Direct message board. And if you send us a message by MSN Messenger at swendirect at hotmail.com, you can can join us maybe after Karen on the telephone line. 
Terrence more important. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to put our two first, but then. Yeah. We're glad to hear about you and what you think of the book if you've read it. But send so. us the emails and like put us in the put like comments in the chat before so we can ask Karen. That's right. And if you want to be sure that we're going to read your questions, you just have to make sure that you post your questions in my room one of the chat. That's very important, people. My room one of the chat. Otherwise, we might just not see them. All right. Well, it's been a it's been a harsh week. Yes. I think on all of us on all of us um, I want to remind everybody that the sound card took a break this week but it still could crash during the show so we never know so just you know if every if anything happens bad just stay on and don't worry I'm taping this so nothing's nothing's gonna go wrong you're gonna listen to the interview on the podcast worst case scenario um, I would also like to take a second to salute a little friend of ours. Uh, mo- most particularly Brian and me from the official fan, the official site, uh, Dark Moose. I want to tell you, you're not the Utun to us, so that should that should mean something to you. Hopefully, it will. You know what? You're not that bad of a guy. We don't hate you. It's, we just had like we we had quarrels in the past, but now everything's fine and we're all happy. And you're welcome to you know come on the show and come live in the chat. We're not going to kick you. On this note, we're going to go into the more personal stuff. Alright. So, did you guys watch any movie this week? Um, I was recovering. I was sim- you were getting sick? <laughs> I was getting Brian's cold. But <laughs> it's I, the flu. It's not a cold. Oh, well, I don't have the flu, so maybe I've got a little... Guys, I am now. flabbergasted because I am the only one who actually read the book entirely. For, for, for once, it's a premiere. It's like I read the book entirely within like five days limit. And I got to watch two movies this week. Two. No, no one. Two. Two movies. First, I was invited to the premiere of Night Watch, which is a Russian movie about the fight between dark and light and evil and good and blah, blah, blah. It's the first of a trilogy. There's Night Watch, Day Watch, and Dusk Watch. Uh, not to be mistaken with its following prequel, Sasquatch. That's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but anyhow... Um, it's, it's a very good movie. It's all in Russian. It's subtitled in English. Uh, if you get the chance to actually go see it, it's a really different take on the battle versus good and evil, and how people actually have to choose their their own destiny. So I I recommend that you go see it because it's 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 very nice. It's a very nice movie. At that premiere, I might add that uh, I learned something from the Fox representative here in Montreal. Uh, we shall not refer to a movie as something two or something three. Like, it's not X3, it's X-Men Evolution or something, I don't remember. Uh, it's not Ice Age 2, it's Ice Age The Meltdown. Because the people, the the, the, co- the, the movie company don't want people to know it's actually a sequel. They want to think it's a brand new movie. So apparently, fucking retarded. those people think we're stupid. But what do you want to do? I no, guess... I, I'm, I'm sorry, that's that's pretty stupid. Yeah, I X, know. No, but the official title for X-Men 2 is X2. What do you want to do? It's not X3. 
X Men United. Yeah, well, you know, if that's their take on it, well, are we retarded? So like, I oh my god, I didn't understand Star Wars <laughs> Episode Two. It, yeah, it's, is it is it Star Wars? Is it a new movie? Oh my god! I know, I know, it's very complicated. Are you confused? I'm always confused. <laughs> <laughs> it was like with us. I mean, come on, there's no chance whatsoever she's not confused. Um, I also went yesterday to see Ultraviolet, uh, the new movie with Mel Jovovich. Uh, I don't know if it actually ails from a comic book or not. Uh, sure looks like it by the like beginning of the movie. Actually, it's not a bad movie. It's like kudos to the choreographers because they did an incredible job, in all honesty. And I think... Through the entire movie, the cinematography is really, really nice. And at the very beginning, there's like breaking and entering by a squad of commando in black armors. And I was just like finishing reading Republic Commando Triple Zero, and I'm like, sweet. <laughs> that's that's a good movie to put you in the good mood. So I was really, really happy about that. And uh, in all honesty, I highly recommend you go watch Ultraviolet on uh, the big screen. And uh, so far, same thing for Nightwatch. I think it's really worth uh, worth a detour. Nightwatch maybe a matinee if you're not too too keen on like subtitled movies. Um, but Ultraviolet definitely something to see on the big screen because the images are really really nice. Uh, the special effects do lack a little bit now that you know we've, we're used to Lucasfilm's kind of thing that really like make us think that it's like an real. actual world, real and all that. Ultraviolet, you know it's a sci-fi movie. Right. It's really, really sci-fi all the way through. But the special effects are really nice. And if seeing Mila Jovovich riding a bike on the side of a building, chased by helicopters, is something that is your kind of thing, just go watch the movie, because there's some of that in there. So that's nice. Uh, if you liked Equilibrium, you, you want to go see Ultraviolet. I haven't seen Equilibrium yet. Okay. Like People have been telling me at work... Oh, this cool sci-fi movie! You should see Equilibrium. I'm like, yeah, I should. You should. You should. I should, but like, it's also thirty-three ninety-nine for the DVD. It's it's actually very much worth that price. And we have the best price in town, apparently. Yeah. I don't know. So, I I just this week I, I pretty much slept when I could. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I slept when I could. I got I got the book. I've been reading it. I really like it. But I've been sleeping. Sleeping and recovering. I played video games last night. And I ate pizza. Okay. Aw, I went to St. Hubert last night. <laughs> was it good? It was. I like And Saint-Hubert. it's great because they have a playroom there. So you can send the kids off to the playroom. You can have a nice meal. You don't have to get stressed out about the kids saying, I'm bored, I want to go, can we go now? And you're like halfway through your meal. You know, you have time to relax and have fun and enjoy yourself, have some wine, chat, have dessert. Hey, we have time after the show, eh? Yeah. Yeah, well, after the show is the, 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 the 78th Oscars. annual Academy Awards. <laughs> I ain't watching that shit. Let's play video games. <laughs> <laughs> I brought coupons for pizza. <laughs> I ate pizza. I have so much pizza. Last night, I just... Uh, we My friend Eric came over. You know my friend Eric, Sebastian. Oh, yes, Eric. <laughs> Eric is, is Eric funny. is also known as Drunk Eric. <laughs> if, if, you wanna, if you want me to tell you about Eric, I can only say, if you've read Republic Commando, Eric is basically our fi. 
That's what yes. he is. Yes. Honestly, he's fine. That's <laughs> and last night, my my parents are, are away in Toronto this weekend with James, and my sister Beatrice. Wait, wait, New stop! York. I got to stop you right there. Did you have some more uh, kebabs? No, we didn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, my throat is not feeling good for kebabs. <laughs> oh, my I lungs see. are too plugged up. <laughs> um, we we just like my sister was here with friends and like. Eric and I were like, let's get the most food we can get from, like, Devil's Pizza. So we ordered, like, two large pizzas and chicken wings and french fries and cake and Pepsi. And we made uh, rum and coke slushies with the, the homemade uh, ice cream maker. Uh-huh. And then we uh, we got two pizzas. And then, then we had, uh, like, a shitload of pizza left over, like, two large pizzas worth. So I just cut it up and put it in the freezer. So I got lots of lunches. Okay. Sebastian, I know you do that kind of shit. Of course I do that kind of shit, because that's just me. I love breakfast pizza. Mm, breakfast, mm. Pizza. breakfast pizza is the yeah. best pizza Actually, you can Eric ever get. Eggs this morning. Oh really? Because he's 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 in cooking school. Did he put some pizza in there? No. <laughs> he's in cooking yeah. school. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He, he he was telling me how he eats like he eats everybody's food after they're done cooking for the day. And, like, the teachers know him as the guy who will finish everything. So they're like, oh, shit, there's a big piece of cake left. Hey, Eric, you want to finish it? And he's like, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Audrey, who's in the chat uh, with us right now? In the chat, we have Admiral, we have Arnie One, we have Koki171, we have the host, the DIJ, DJ Catty, Ikasra, Frizior, myself, Jaina, Joel, Kid Fisco, Cornus, Leander, Lunatic, Mad Norod, Marcus55, M. Mathab, Raylo, Skylover, Snakes, and Tahiri. Alright. And Lieutenant Noahs. Oh. My room one. Alright, I see him there. Okay. So you guys are going to. Have yeah. to be like on the yeah, watch for that. I'm, I'm watching that kind of show. That's mm-hmm. good. Well, Brian, there's a lot of things you watch during the week, and news is one of them. News is one of them. So we're going to go see what you got for us this week. <laughs> Alright, so, been away for a week, I'm sorry about that. So uh, Yeah, where were you last week? <laughs> I was in bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. You missed all sorts of fun here I last know, week. I know, I know, I know. Hey, Brian, what happened in the news this week? Well, on Tuesday... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he can't do his news. The Star Wars Republic Commando came out on Tuesday. Of course, it was out early in Sound's Choice um, bookstores. There is an excerpt that was put up on Sith Clan. It's in English, so you can actually read it. Where the English starts, that's where the excerpt starts. So you can go read that. It's chapter 2. is available. Also, something very cool, that's in the back of the Republic Commando is an excerpt from Betrayal, which I have not read yet. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. I'm still sick. (laughs) You're going to be able to read. <coughs> I'm sorry. So you betrayal choking on something, Brian? Yeah, my sore throat. Um, betrayal excerpt, also on Sith Clan, from the back of the Republic Command. You can go read that. 
Um, beware of spoilers if you're not into that kind of stuff. Alerted to by Catherine on our message board. I want everyone to go sign this petition. It's very important for the Hoth 2010 Winter Games. So we want to have the Winter Games on Hoth in 20, 2014, not 2010. Sorry. Yeah, so I'm going to put the link up in the chat. Also, according to um, Play.com, in gameplay, you'll be there is a new um, Star Wars title for the DS coming. Apparently, it's Star Wars Shadow Strike, and there's also a um, Star Wars Double Pack collecting two Star Wars games um, available soon. So there are rumors. We're not sure how they're going to proceed. Um, should um, have uh, more news coming up soon because they're supposed to have May release dates so there's nothing confirmed as of yet but hopefully soon and that's um, that's that's that, that's it for the most heinous news are you an angel? what? an angel? I heard the deep space pilots talk about them. they're the most beautiful creatures in the universe if you go Welcome to the Fan Audio News. This week, March releases begin with a series of new uh, releases. <laughs> um, Star Wars FM returns with uh, Star Wars FM number 7 featuring special guest Robbie Tastain of Star Wars and Beyond. Fan Audio Made Easy returns with lesson number 15 featuring the first part of two-part casting tutorial entitled A Circle of Friends by Nathan P. Butler. Ronnie's Own Radio returns with RZR number 28 featuring a discussion on women's liberation in 2006. Centerpoint Arcade returns with CA number 5 entitled The Crappiest One Yet featuring a look at the Phantom Menace video game. The Jedi Council Speaks has released its first special edition episode featuring a review of the Ewok Adventure, uh, also known as Caravan of Courage, and various media-related topics. Finally, Requiem of the Outcast number 29, ha- number 29 has been released. Featuring stellar con coverage, this episode includes a rare sit-down interview with the trio at the same time of Timothy Zahn, Aaron Alston, and Michael Stackpole which included Ron Garner and frequent guest Davy Beauchamp. It's one not to be missed. Um, the Galaxy Report will air a special recorded interview with FanWorks founder Nathan P. Butler about fan audio and FanWorks before its regular live episode airs next weekend. This weekend's show has been cancelled. Um, Matthew Smith's Lost Cause, There's Still No Hope, has returned with its eighth installment, Saga's Delight, continuing the ten-part episode of Lost Cause Saga. And finally, Steve Flaherty um, has just posted a casting call for his new project, an audio drama adaptation of K.I.A. Asimia's Star Wars Tales comic story entitled Prey. The audio drama Prey, Dual Blades, will require several voice roles that are as yet uncast, including Han Solo, Ula, Grand Moff Tarkin, and two female prostitutes. To audition, check out the thread in Cast and Crew Calls area. What does I look for? 
just just tell me <laughs> they have the Lekus. Just, just tell me they well, have they Lekus. Have, they have Ula, so that's already one with Leku. <laughs> I want Disgusting more Lekus. Pervert. <laughs> Lekus all over. You know what? You know, there's there's Lekus in there's Republic Lekus Commando. In there. yeah. <laughs> there's Lekus in Republic I Commando. I saw them. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Dirty something about pervert. them. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you feel liberated? I feel liberated. I'm, like, playing the role of a single mom when I'm married, so how much more liberated <laughs> could I possibly be? And you do this show every week. I work, I do the show, I'm involved with other things Star Wars related and other things uh, real life related. And, and you're you know. sick. And, and I'm you're sick. Sorry. And you're going to you. Toronto. And I'm going to Toronto. At the end of the month. With uh, Sebastian. Yeah, I'm not. I'm staying. I know, you're going to miss... You're I'm gonna studying. I'm You're gonna miss boy. the field trip. You gotta come with us. Hey, I got a B plus this week in my essay. I, I my think congratulations. I think B plus is good. Congratulations, it's better than last term, <laughs> <laughs> which was D minus. <laughs> it wasn't D minus. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Putting a hex on you now. <laughs> All right. com, the home of Star Wars fan audio on the internet. It's your home for Star Wars fan audio genre news, a comprehensive catalog of fan-made Star Wars radio shows, parody tales, and serious audio dramas, with behind-the-scenes features, a message board, reviews, tutorials, convention coverage, an internet movie database-style directory of the entire Star Wars fan audio community, and the only fan audio community-recognized Star Wars Fan Audio Academy Awards held each year. StarWarsFanWorks.com. Fandom has a whole new sound. Every collector deserves the best. That's why our main goal at Federation Toys is to guarantee the highest quality items for the lowest prices. Yes, of course. Come by Federation Toys for Star Wars collectibles. Satisfaction guaranteed. Yes, Vice Roy. Roger, Roger. All Star Wars and Grand listeners will get a 5% discount on their purchases. And welcome to this edition of the Collecting News for March 5th, 2006. And I want to start off by saying that Republic Commando Triple Zero is out. For those of you listening to the show and not knowing that this is today's main subject, and the fact that I really, really care about those books, I, I, I love them. I really do. But you know what? There's other things that came out this week, and I'm sure that Arnie and Marjorie know all about it, and they're here with us today to tell us all about that. What would we know about things that came out? <laughs> you know, you're not being all distracted. You were distracted. You were talking about sexy Leku a moment ago. So I'm <laughs> I'm sorry, Arnie. I, I I must have like brought you into my uh, my little thing with Lekus. Um, I'll I, I'm sorry, Marjorie. You're gonna have to. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> it wasn't you. It was Amy Allen. So don't feel guilty there. What came out new this week was the titanium three and three quarter inch figures. They're okay. They're not that great. The weirdest thing about them is that they come with a display case, so it looks like you're keeping Darth Vader under a jar, like you've captured, captured him like a firefly. Okay. She says that's the weirdest thing. I think the weirdest thing is that so you don't have metal scratching metal with the removable helmets because both Boba Fett and Darth Vader have removable helmets. They have little kind of prophylactic covers over the helmets that make them look like the gimp in Pulp Fiction. 
So I, I think that's the weirdest part. Well, but if you turn around that little flashlight, they, they could look like Colonel Clink, also from Hogan's Heroes. So really, they're 15 minutes, and they're not worth it. I bought them already. Well, you didn't know. Also, Sideshow has announced the addition size of the Greedo one-to-one scale bust, and there's only going to be 300 of those made. So I'm sure everybody's rushed right out to get, wait, no, no, they haven't. That's why they're only making 300 of them, huh? <laughs> so there's thousands of the Darth Maul busts, so an addition size of 300 for Greedo, that's not a good sign, and the fact that it's not sold out is an even worse sign. Are, are you buying two, Arnie? Pardon? Are you buying two of them? No, I haven't bought any. They're 600 a piece, and I just, you know, I like the one-to-one scale bust, but by the same token, they're a little freaky because the bases they're on makes it look like a floating head. Well, it's like a head on a stick. That's it's really weird. Odd. It looks like a big sucker. I kind of want to put that in my garden. Yeah, so that would probably look good if you buried it in a garden. So for 600, I, if it was 300, I would have bought them both. And I understand from some people that the Darth Maul one is already going for as low as 300 on eBay. Okay. So I'll probably head to eBay and try to pick them up two for the price of one. And if I don't get them, it's not going to keep me up nights. Okay. I also wanted to mention that this week on Star Wars Action News, which will be posted tomorrow at ReviewStarWars.com, Marjorie and I did a follow-up to our Star Wars on Direct interview last week where Marjorie was talking with Wookiee Mart about the limp saber situation and a solution that involved boiling and freezing and she went through something that I would put akin to a high school science experiment only it lacked the three-sided backboard and the nice little graphs where she took, uh, took over our kitchen and our freezer to attempt a science experiment with the minis and we detail that on Star Wars Action News. Awesome. All right. But have you found have you found Scorch yet? Kind of yeah, tied into our. Pretty our cool. He's pretty cool. We were leaving him for the end because it is the Republic Commando Triple Zero episode. We did find him in stores. He's shipping only one to a case. Ouch! Uh, he is a very cool figure. Yeah, he's really cool. I I'm not a big fan of clones. I like stormtroopers better, but I like him. I've I've been looking. I saw him on uh, Legends as a store in in Montreal, and he's on their website. And he's, they're apparently getting them in April. So I'm kind of thinking I'm going to pre-order them through their site so I make sure I get them. I know some people have ordered full cases of figures to make sure they get them. But is he really that cool? Because, honestly, I was looking at the picture. Maybe it's just the angle. I'm not too sure about it. I think his, his DC-17 seems a little bit big. I'm not sure. Well, I don't know. I, I'm not, I haven't figured out the scale of the gun to the figure. The gun may be a little big. But I agree with you that in the photo, I didn't think he looked good at all. I think that their helmets look like crap, to be honest. They look like just buckets. They don't have the shark fin down the middle that the Episode 2 clones have. They don't have the big bulbous areas around the mouth that the Stormtroopers in Episode 3 clones had. I thought he looked a little plain from the photos. And then Marjorie showed me the carded figure, and I'm just like, wow. So I I don't know about the gun being too big, but the figure, it rocks. Okay, that's good. Uh, speaking of the gun, have you guys ever seen Galaxy Quest? Of course. Okay, just just wondering, just making sure. Okay. <laughs> she was making fun of you, Seth. So so, so I figure. <laughs> <laughs> Still, unintended. You, you, you know, you know what the best part of Galaxy Quest is? 
when the guy is on st- when Tim Allen's on stage and he's looking at all the fans, you're just like looking in the mirror. <laughs> it's like this is what we look like when we're at conventions. <laughs> it's it's so amazing. Did you guys see Saturday Night Live last night with Natalie Portman? I, I started watching it with my friend Eric, but we got really mad because we used to think Saturday Night Live was funny. And it just made us really feel uncomfortable, so we had to turn it off. Was it the whole monologue where they're making fun of Star Wars fans? No, I actually didn't catch that. It was the rap, the Natalie Portman rap. I haven't watched it all. I didn't get to it. It was horrible. It was horrible. Just painful to watch. (laughs) It's not as good as it used to be, but... You but know, don't want to give up yet. The Natalie Portman opening where they're asking her about Obi-Wan going to Kashyyyk and she schools the people. That was pretty amusing. Well, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't see that yet, and I haven't downloaded any of the clips yet. In, in all honesty, I, I was out watching Ultraviolet, and when I came back home, it was straight back into Republic Commando, so I missed it. I totally well, missed it. collecting news that I'm going to share with you guys. Um, I, I may have heard this on your show, or that Steve Stansweet said at WonderCon that there will not be Ultimate Edition soundtracks for Episodes 2 and 3. Yeah. So I've started a letter-writing campaign at ReviewStarWars.com where I'm posting text for people to cut and paste into an email to send to Sony Classical. Because Sony apparently thinks those soundtracks won't sell because the Episode 1 soundtrack didn't sell. And I'm trying to convince them otherwise. So I'm hoping you'll direct your listeners to ReviewStarWars.com so they can get the email address to write and request that they do the double-disc editions of Episode 2 and 3 because I really feel like the soundtrack collection is incomplete. All right. Well, thank you very much for being with us this week. You're welcome. And of course, people can get all the news they want in terms of collecting at ReviewStarWars.com with you guys every week, every Monday. So Absolutely. So stay in the chat and uh, go on and ask some questions to uh, Karen about Scorch and why he's got this uh, this weird blood hand on his helmet. It, is Scorch in triple zero? Actually, he is. Oh, wow. Cool. And he's a very funny guy, too. <laughs> so great. Thanks for having us again. But Bye. Uh, I'll leave that for later. This is Marjorie. And this is Arnie. We're the hosts of Star Wars Action News, Star Wars Collecting Podcast, and you are listening to Star Wars Undirect. And welcome to this edition of the Community Update for March 5th, 2006. Star Wars Day X is still ongoing. The X-Wing fundraiser are pleased to announce that Star Wars Day X will be held on Sunday, March 12th. That is, you know, next Sunday. At the Huntington Sports Center in Devon, England. Uh, hit with proceeds donated to British Art Foundation Registered Charity number something something. As well as being the 10th anniversary event, the day will also be held in remembrance of the late Michael Sheard, who was president of the group. The, uh, the event 
is a one-day Star Wars convention featuring special guest autograph sessions, dealers, display of art models, collectibles, and prop replicas, fancy dress games and competitions, costume characters, vintage arcade machines, and a lot, lot more. Here are a few of the confirmed guests. Kenny Baker, Jeremy Bullock, Jerome Blake, Carolyn Blakiston, Garrick Hagen, Warwick Davis, Peter Burgess, uh, John Molo, Brian Johnson, Christian Simpson, Simpson and Hans Jensen, who, uh, who's the incredible cross-section artist. So also attending will be Matt Irvine, one of BBC special effects for Doctor Who, Blake 7 and Robot Wars, and display of original props and costume from Doctor Who, Aliens, and even Firefly for those of you uh, browncoats out there. For more information, you can go to www.xwing.co.uk. That's E-X-E-Wing.co.uk. The uh, memorabilia show uh, is on, on the 25th and the 26th of March at the NEC Birmingham, UK. Guests include Michael Kingman, General Tarful, Brian Blessed, uh, Kyron Shaw, Kenny Baker, and uh, those guys will also be taking a part in the Star Wars Community section session over the weekend. The UK garrison will also be on patrol with their photo boot. For more information, you can go to www.memorabilia.co.uk. And, of course, in these ongoing pleasure of events, uh, Art and Science of Star Wars at Stade des Sciences in l'Industrie Paris-France is going on until August. August. August? Yeah, that's a new month. It's in the Star Wars universe. Until August 27th, uh, Star Wars, where science meets imagination, is at the Museum of Science in Boston, Massachusetts, until April 30th. Star, the Art of Star Wars in Singapore at the Science Center until April 3rd. Uh, Natalie Portman, of course, was on uh, on uh, the the show yesterday, Saturday Night Live, and apparently she rapped. And uh, it was awesome, Ikasher says. I, I, I still maintain that it was painfully horrible. And apparently you can see it all on Natalie Empire and NataliePortman.com. So... I don't know. Natalie Portman rapping, and there it was, was really bad. It was like gangster rap, and she was really angry, and they were like bleeping out words. And they were bleeping out words. Yeah, it was horrible. Wow. No, it was just bad. It was bad. You know, sometimes you just don't want to go into much more details. And uh, of course, I want to remind everybody that Ad Astra is coming at the end of this month in uh, Toronto, and uh, Audrey and I will be there, and we're going to be doing a live show there on Sunday night. Of course, if you want some more information, you can go to our forums. Uh, I'm going to put some information about that this week. And um, if you want more information about the convention itself, you can go to www.ad-astra.org and uh, Check out everyone who's going to be there. And amongst the guests, there's a very good Star Wars guest. It's uh, Terry Brooks, who's the novelization author for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So, basically, he's the one who put into writing the becoming of the Jedi, which I found to be really, really interesting, and I'm really thrilled about all that. <sighs> okay, so we got people going on. It's like my 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 two trusty colleagues here are writing down questions and it's incredible uh, Audrey take a pause, who's with us in the chat right now? Uh, with us in chat right now we have Frizior, we have myself we have Jewel, we have Kit Fisto we have Lieutenant Noelis uh, Admiral Koki171, the host Dark Moose, Darth Fool DIJ, DJ Catty, Ikasra, Jaina 
Cornus, Leander, Lunatic, Med, Noroid, uh, Marcus, 55, M, Mathab, Niena, Raylo, Skylover, Snakes, and Tahiri. All right. Thank you very much for all being with us tonight. Uh, we are actually coming up to our main subject in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to be talking all about Triple Zero, the latest Republic Commando book by Karen Travis. She's going to be here with us tonight, and uh, we're going to be uh, just going deeply into details about, about that book with her. So if you've got any questions whatsoever, even even if it's about the short story that she wrote in the Insider or if it's about uh, that short story was of course Target uh, if it's about anything that of the uh, legacy book that she's uh, going to write books I should say uh, if you could uh, just please go to my room one in the live chat at starwarsundirect.com and leave your questions there uh, that's going to be the best of course, you can also send me a few questions by MSN, but, but the best way really is to go through my room one, because uh, that's where my colleagues can actually filter all the, uh, the info and then send them to me. And even they're going to be asking them for you uh, later on during the show. On this note, we are going to go on a short sponsor break, and uh, we are gonna, we're going to listen to Karen actually speaking Mendelade. So that's Mandalorian. So that's going to be funny, because it's nice. And, of course, we're going to listen to uh, Jesse's Harlan Cartartor and Vodehan uh, from the game Republic Commando. And we're going to be right back to Star Wars on Direct, the voice of Star Wars fandom. For years, sci-fi fans have toiled at making fan films, podcasts, and goofy flash animations to obscure techno music. They work hard. Give them their props. Watch, listen, and talk back. <clears throat> At planetfandom.com <laughs> The future. A world ruled by corruption, lawlessness, and fear. The perfect place for mercenaries to do what mercenaries do. But for one mercenary, you know my name. that's about to change. On February 15th, Star Knight Interactive presents a podcast unlike any you've ever heard. J. Marcus Xavier's They said the future would be paradise. They were wrong. Some material may not be suitable for younger listeners. SilentUniverse.com Today's lesson at the Keldabi Bistro. Shal epayayim keldabe. So kuiga jack me vode, mekopani? Good evening, sir. Good evening, madam. What would you like? Kedeche nikopani bushika sin papugal. I'd like a glass of white wine, please. Dion kopani magishe. Would you care for anything else? Elek buche nitragal. Yes, a pint of Guinness. Oya, chatnivod. Coming right up, sir. Baltad trashina kamini tishukla getse, kedeche. 
Tadish. And two of these seared cameo and steaks with crushed nuts, please. Rare. Kandorsi, Jack Nivod. A wise choice, if I might say so, sir.
Lesson number two, sensible things to say when you're pulled over by the police for speeding. Sukui alor, tion meni lisi naria pagar. Good morning, officer, and what can I do for you? Kuitor alor, balban runi shadlai vinish. It's a fair cop, governor. I was indeed speeding. Galactic Hunter, the place where you can find the latest Star Wars collectible news from all around the world. From the Hasbro and Kenner lines of action figures, to comics, games, plot collectibles, and events. Everything is covered and reviewed. Join our fan community and the Bounty Hunter Collective forums and find all your bounties at www.galactichunter.com. Galactic Hunter, keeping collectors on target. At SimpleNet, you will get, at a very reasonable cost, an advertising space for your company, a website built for you by our team of professionals, or quite simply, a space to put your personal site online. Yawning gamers are not forgotten. We can offer fixed prices of bandwidth, as well as solutions for turnkey pre-configured game servers. Join us at www.simple-net.ca. And welcome back to Star Wars on Direct, the voice of Star Wars fandom, on this March 5th, 2006. I'm getting mixed up in my numbers because I'm so thrilled, ladies and gentlemen. And that's because today we're talking about Triple Zero, my, my favorite characters of the entire Star Wars universe. Like the boys of Karen Travis, the Republic Commandos. Don't you think they're great? They're very cool. They're, they're, they're just so awesome. And... Especially today, to talk with us, we have Karen Travis, straight from UK, to tell us all about Republic Commando Triple Zero. Hi, Karen, how are you doing? Hello there. It's absolutely lovely to see you back talking to you again. I think last time we sat in a hotel room at, uh, at C3, weren't we? And I, I just slid into Matt over warm seat. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're, we're going to keep you on a little less uh, long than we kept you on at C3. And uh, we're going to actually go straight into Triple Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Art Contact. It was already an incredible book. And now you're, you, you actually gave us a very nice short story in The Insider. Now you're giving us Triple Zero. And there's actually talks of another short story in an upcoming Insider number 87, I believe. But we'll yeah. talk about that later. Yeah. So... Who finally decided on going ahead and giving Hard Contact a sequel and having Triple Zero on and actually, you know, putting Delta Squad in and all the other the other characters you developed through uh, the past few months? Well, I've been asked about a sequel by fans, well, just about every day since Hard Contact came out, uh, and uh, nothing had actually happened at C3, which is when I'd uh, been, you know, obviously been talking to Delray and the Lucasfilm people. It wasn't until I got back from C3 that I had an email saying, do you want to do the sequel? Uh, I think my response was something like, is the, is the Pope Catholic? Uh, of course I want to do the sequel. I mean, everybody knew that I wanted to do the sequel. Uh, I was very keen to get a bit of Delta in. Now, uh, I know that, there are, obviously, with, with, the, with the characters in the games, there is a limit to what I can do, because there is a continuity within the games, and I can't do anything that would cut across 
any future work that LucasArts might want to do with that. Now, I'm not saying there are any more of the public commando games, but I'm saying that you can't shut doors in this business. So there was a limit to what I could do, but I wanted to get some cameo roles in there, particularly showing how they, how they, how they worked, worked with, 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 the, with, the, with the Amiga boys, because uh, you know, they haven't really met, they haven't worked before, they've got views of each other. What you see in Triple Zero is, is obviously not Delta's view of Delta, which is what you get in the game. I mean, that's Delta's view of Delta. What you see is Delta through Cal's eyes, through Etain's eyes, um, through Phi's eyes, and to all, all, all those eyes. And that's quite different because they look very, they look very distant, they look very separate. They're an unbroken pod. And I, I felt that would make them quite different to, 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 to the other lads who, who are obviously in hard contact, came together from different pods. And actually had quite a hard time uh, in the initial stages, get, getting on with each other because they're raised in these very tight knit groups of four. So there's a massive culture shock in hard contact, and uh, they've really settled down to this. And then they run into Delta, who've not been through this loss of uh, their brothers. And there's a little bit of a clash, but they are okay, by, by the end of the book, they're starting to see each other's point of view. Okay, and. Um you you bring in Delta Squad and you actually like did an incredible job at giving them the personality you've given to Omega Squad in the first book and we see the interaction on which you also did an incredible job but you you decided to go like even a step further and bring the the people who actually brought them up which is Wallenfau and Kals Yes. Yeah, I thought the training sergeants were very important because in, in hard contact I was trying to create a, a, a character in, in King Cal that people felt they knew, but he never actually took part in the book, but they had a very vivid view of him through, through their squad. Um, you had a little bit of Val. So you know Val is a totally different character and, is not, uh, and isn't a lovable or at least um, uh, a fatherly figure that Cal is. And I introduced Cal for the first time in Target. And I thought I really have to have to uh, have to build on on, on him for uh, for triple zero. Um, the two different sergeants make two very different squads. Uh, they've literally brought all these guys up like they would their own sons, which is very much the Mando way. And Val's got one way of doing it based on his own childhood, which wasn't wasn't a happy one. Cal's got his own way of doing it, which is based on although he had a quite a traumatic childhood and he was picked up as a war orphan. Uh, he, he, he was actually brought up in a much kinder way, and he, and he surpassed that on, on, on to his lads. So you get, you get a real culture shift, even within the Mandalorian bits there. I mean, both Val and, and Cal are, were actually born into the culture. They both come into it, and they brought whatever came from outside as well. But it just goes to show um, how they can shape the way their, their, their young charges saw the world. I mean, Cal's quite a difficult character, I and mean, he's one of these people that, if you look at him on paper, he's an absolute monster. He's a killer. Uh, he, he is a thief. Uh, he, uh, he, he's really not the sort of person that you'd want to take home to meet Mother, but he's got this one saving grace, which is his total self-sacrificial love for his boys, and that is his prime function in life. And that's, his, and, and, and that's what, eventually, you, you, you don't see all the evil bits of him. You don't see the bad bits. You just see this wonderfully devoted father who, who would literally die, die for his lads. Now, Val, you, you, you see him initially as this really cold, 
monster type. But, you know, towards the end, you start to see what actually made him like he is. And however weird his methods are, however brutal he is, he desperately want, wants, wants his boys to live. So they're both going at the same thing from different directions, and they're never going to see eye to eye about the way of doing it. Okay. Um, is there any particular reason for which you choose just to go with Wallenval and Kals Kirata and not actually bring in any of the other guys that uh, brought up the boys? Well, there were about a hundred uh, commander instructors to start with, the Kukri uh, Valdar, and sem uh, 75 of them were Amandos. Now, the thing about bringing in other characters is that you can dilute a book too, too, too much. I mean, the, the, the hardest thing for me about writing, I mean, writing is what I do 16 hours a day. I live and breathe it. But the one difficulty I have with it is actually deciding which character I will give points of view to. Because I look at characters on such a very tight focus, I mean, I've only got something like maximum five or six POVs in books. Uh, although I do a few more in the West Side Wars ones, but they're totally different books. Um, I actually have to spend a lot of time with each character. So if I have a lot of characters, then I get a more diluted view. So I have to sit there and think, I'd love to hear from that character, I'd love to hear from this one, I'd love to hear from that one, but I don't have room for them. And you can make a book too crammed. This originally started out, when, when I, it, it took me five weeks to write it. because I mean, that isn't going to shock you because you know how fast I write and I get totally tied up in a book. But I wrote 200,000 words. I've actually axed about 40,000. And I could have left a lot of stuff in, but I don't think it added to anything. I think it watered it down. So if I'd added more characters, I think that would really start to take the focus away. I mean, what I'm trying to do is to get the reader to be in the character's head, to actually feel what it is like to be that person. I think the more you switch heads, the more heads you have to be in, the harder that gets. Okay. How did you like rewriting all the characters you developed so far? Because you brought back Ethan in this book, uh, you brought back Barden Jusic, which last time I asked you, are we going to see more of him? Yeah. And uh, you also brought back the guys from uh, from the CSF from the the Target story. Yeah. So that was a really nice touch to the book, and I'm like, wow, this is like a high school reunion for Republic Commandos. Yeah, I must admit, I, I actually did have a soft spot for uh, for Obrim, who's the who's the uh, CSS guy. Uh, I really like those sort of copper type characters. I thought he'd be a nice foil for Cal because they both they, they both seen some terrible things in their lives and they both have a very cynical view of the world. So I could see them as drinking partners somehow. Um, I wanted to look at Jusic because we didn't really see much of him in hard contact, but I liked him because he he basically saw his clone troops as men. Uh, he didn't have a high view, view of himself either as an officer or a Jedi. He was just basically a nice guy uh, with a lot of hidden talents. And I wanted to see those talents come out. He's clearly heavily into the technology. And I just wanted to see where he would go. And uh, I, I, I just, I just found him such a likeable lad. Uh, but, he's, but he's got this inner strength that comes out. He's got this real core of steel uh, as when he breaks up the fight between Zhao and Atin. And Etain, I needed to see her grow. She had a really rough ride in hard contact. She had the most awful uh, start, and you know she abandoned. She doesn't feel she can do command. Uh, you know, Darman just has to look after her the whole way. 
And I wanted her to at least have learned something in the past year. And she's learned some horribly hard lessons. She's seen some terrible things. She's done some terrible things. She's, yeah, she has actually seen the war at first hand. I don't think either Jusik or, or Etain had any illusions about the war. And I think that's what makes them vulnerable to being dragged more, more towards identifying with their troops than with their own order. Because they are cut off, they're on their own, uh, they're left to their own uh, devices, there just aren't enough Jedi to go around, basically. And you know, inevitably, you're going to start to bond with your men. And, and I wanted to bring that out, because uh, you know, every, everyone I've ever spoken to says that, you know, you obviously get very tight on things like this. And I thought, maybe I need to show up really how Jedi see this, about how invested some of them get in their men. I mean, obviously not all of them are, but certainly the younger ones, uh, the ones who, I mean, you know, bear, bear in mind that Etain had a very rough time when, when she lost her master. I think she's right to be sort of, uh, you know, to, to want to join in. And given that she has these feelings about her own past, you know, she's never, she's got a lot of problems, but she's never really, really resolved about her relationship with the Jedi Order. So she's very vulnerable, but she has this strength. She isn't a whiz-bang Jedi. She hasn't got all these superpower skills. Well, she might have, but she just can't get it together. What she does, she does through her own strength of character and her, and her sort of love of other people. I mean, she, you know, she genuinely cares about people. She's got that much from her previous master that they had in common, that they were both passionate about justice. So, uh, um, I mean, obviously, there are times when I get annoyed with, with, with her. I really do. I just think, you know, come on, girl. Uh, <laughs> you have to get a grip. But I actually think that she comes out of it pretty well. She definitely learned. And you actually put her through a very difficult situation in triple zero. Uh, she's got to do her first interrogation. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're, we're not going to tell people how it actually ends. I want them to find that out themselves. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it's yeah. a I, I actually, I actually should have checked with you about spoilers. So um, uh, I will try and talk round, and it may not always be possible. So if, 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 if anyone listening desperately doesn't want a spoiler, uh, if I think I'm into spoiler territory, I will say, you know, stick your fingers in your ears now. <laughs> yeah, she has to. She has to learn the dirty side of war, and uh, there are things that Jedi can do that perhaps um, even someone like Val can't do when they're trying to get answers out of prisoners. And I wanted to see how she'd react. And I also wanted just to see what it might feel like for her having done this, how she actually sees her own sense of ethics and, and how you get salamied, how, how you change your view a slice at a time. You're asked to do one, one thing and you do it. You're asked to do a little more and you go a little bit further. And eventually you get to the end of the path and you look back and think, how did I ever end up doing this? What made me do it? How do I compromise myself so much? And it's because it's done in stages. I think if she were asked, maybe when when she started out, when you know, uh, back in hard contact, to do some of the things that she's called on to do in Triple Zero, she would say, "No, I'm sorry, I'm just not doing that." But she's been moved gradually, a slice at a time, down this path of, of, sort of taking more and more shortcuts turning a blind eye more often. And I think this is, the, this is the microcosm of what happens with the whole Jedi Order about the war and how they take their eye off the moral ball. And, and ultimately, because they've taken their eye off, off, off the ball, this is their downfall. But it's not because they're evil or, 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 or corrupt. It's because that's the way people are, that they can be manoeuvred an inch at a time into doing things just by a gradual process. Yeah. And... Um I'm actually going to warn people right now. I'm going to go straight into a, a 
fairly big spoiler of the book. So for those of you who really don't want to hear about this, just turn on the volume for about two minutes now. Um, Etain and Darman. We remember that they had a very nice little relationship in, back in Hard Contact, and there was some, you know, let's, let's say it, sexual tension over there, but nothing happened throughout the course of the book. However, in Triple Zero, they get it on, <laughs> and I don't think we can put it like in, an, in any other way. No, and, <laughs> and, and she actually gets a surprise. She gets pregnant with uh, a Mendoa kid. And that is, that is something I was reading and I'm like, that is awesome. <laughs> um, is, there, is there an actual reason for which you, you brought that to the table? And to add to that question, I'm going to ask you, is there any actual uh, way that we're going to hear back from the son of Darman and Etain sometimes in the near future in the legacy books? Right. Um, she's actually planned this. The only surprise she gets is that it happens sooner than she thinks. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there, there's a certain amount of, uh, of, sort of self-justification through what she sees in the, in the force. But um, in, the, in the time she's been part of I mean, clearly, when, they, when they've been brought together, when her and the whole squad were brought together in hard contact, they actually form this combat bond, which is incredibly strong. They really are sure. If you meet someone under those sort of circumstances, it is massively powerful. Really is powerful. Um, she's been separated from him and the rest of them. And obviously she's got the primary relationship with him because they spent so much time together under such difficult circumstances. In the, in the time they've been apart, she, uh, in, in, the, in the way absence does make the heart grow fonder, she's built a slightly different picture of him to the one she had and she's idealised him and she's missed him. And she can feel him in the force, and you know she she, she does a little force touch, and he starts to realise that she's reaching out, out to him. Um, she's actually quite a needy person on an emotional level, and she started to put this together with the picture of these guys who actually, you know, I mean, it's obviously clear in, in, in both the books these guys have wretched lives by our standards. They have they have no rights, no choice, no freedom, no future, and that, that you know they are they are treated like cattle. Even if they're treated well at that level, they are still treated like cattle. Uh, so she, she now understands in, enough of the Mandos to realise how important family is, but she also realises that they don't have a future, these lads. Uh, if they don't have kids, then they haven't got a future, but they're not going to see a future for them themselves because they age it double the way. So she begins to think about, you know, I need to give him a son because he's a Mandalorian as far as I'm concerned, she says. So what he needs is a son, and she thinks that's the greatest gift that she can give him. So there's that scene where she's sat there thinking this through, and she thinks, that's it. One day, I'll give him a son, and I'll do what I can to give him a normal life. But it happens sooner than, than she thinks. Now, obviously, uh, the sort of real medical side of that is, one, she wouldn't know she was pregnant, and B, she wouldn't know what the gender was for a long time. But this is Star Wars, and we've got the Force, and the Force not only tells her that she, that she has conceived, but... She also has got a sort of false view that, that this is a son. Now, uh, we will only see really what happens there if there are more books. And that's not a given, obviously, for all the reasons that I say. Uh, the only thing I can say is that what happens to her makes a big difference to a lot of people's lives in years to come. 
and that's the sort of uh, cliffhanger to end that question. I would, I would, I would, I'd love to be able to talk further on that, but I'm well into spoiler country. Okay, okay. We'll keep it to that then. Okay. <laughs> um, in the uh, in Triple Zero, we actually uh, there's actually a lot of interaction between the characters, but the first thing that you had to do in order to actually create that interaction, and I'm going to go straight with a question from the chat there. Um, actually, for, it's it's from from by email that we we received this. How did you manage to just create that incredible? those incredible personalities for all the, command, the the Republic commandos and that we just like we, we can we can tell who it is just by the way he talks yeah uh, I think the thing about characterization I'm going you know, sort of spreading this a little more widely what what I write is, is, is always characters all my plots flow from characters uh, I always think that once you've got characters sorted then the rest of, of, of any book will flow uh, the way I do them is I actually build them from the ground up. Uh, none of them are people who I know because real, real people do not make good fiction. They really, really don't. So what I normally do is I take the situation that the book is about, um, normally sort of one-liner thing, like you know, obviously what I had, had for this is these are clone commandos who've been brought up in a, in a, in a, in a very uh, cloistered um, sort of place. They don't see the outside world and they've been trained by these Mandalorian sergeants. Now, I had to get the Mandalorian sergeants in. Uh, I don't know if I've told you the story before, but probably a lot of listeners haven't heard it. When I first got hard contact, uh, the, and I was asking Ryan Kaufman, the, the long-suffering Ryan, all these questions, because he was my minder at LucasArts, I said, um, so these commanders, who actually trains them? And he says, well, there, there is only only the Kaminoans and I looked at these Kaminoans and I said I'm sorry they're never going to train special forces I'm sorry they just don't have it and he said yes but that's the movie dear you know <laughs> that's what George Lucas said I said look can I try something can you ask Lucasfilm if they will let me have sergeants who come from the outside you know because there's got to be some outside influence here to train blokes who are going to be the SAS because those those fish heads cannot do it I think that was my phrase so there was, a, there, was a, there was a bit of discussion and Lucasfilm came back and said, yeah, even though this is top secret and no one else was supposed to know about it, if you can get a story together that explains why they have outsiders other, other than Kamen Owens who know about the project and the training, then you can do it. So this is how the Kuvel Dar was born and this is how Cal Scarata was born. So I looked at what sort of dynamic you would get in a group of four men who looked the same uh, but had a very close relationship with a training sergeant and a relationship with other members of their of their of their, of their, of their company, but, but that wasn't intimate. This was a more sort of rivalry one. And the thing about clones, if you think of clones as identical twins, identical twins do not have the same personality. Our personalities are shaped by so many factors that you end, you end up totally different. And I think I've said many times online, clones clones. And animals don't even look the same. That's how much bearing uh, the, the environment has on, has on the expression of genes. So I looked at who would naturally take the sort of dominant pecking order thing, which was Niner. Uh, I mean, he's, he is, he's a natural sergeant in, 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 in his group. And then when he comes across quite a, a strong character like Fi and he's in charge of him, then he will start to rubble from up on him. So basically, I just sort of got these, I just picked about three or four 
elements from each man's life, and I could build a personality around it. It works the other way around, too, because uh, when I was looking at Boba Fett, as, as you know, I do not read books. I'm just incapable of reading fiction. I, I really can't do it, and I can't take data from it. So if it's not in the CROM, which is the CD database, then, I, then it basically I, I, it just isn't there for me. So with an established character like Boba, I take four incidents from, from, his, from, his, from his life and form a sort of personality profile, rather like the, F, the FBI with the psychological profiling. And it always seems to work, which is, which, is, which is an interesting thing. Now, I've done the same but backwards for the characters I create, that I look at the situation, I decide individual things that are likely to happen to them, and I build the characters from there. But the actual sense of it being vivid and real is, and this is going to sound nuts, I have to get inside their heads. They're not me. I have to see through their eyes and... Uh, I often end up being in the heads of people I really don't like, and it's a very disturbing thing. I have to shake myself out of it. Um, I can get so immersed in it that for a couple of days later, if I've had a really tough character, I am really quite freaked. It's a very strange thing. I used to think this was something quite flaky that, that only actors did. I think you all know I'm a journalist, so I'm, a, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exactly an arty person, but this being taken over by the character is quite disturbing. But I have to do it to make them that vivid on the page. I have to see what they see. I have to hear them. I have to understand their speech patterns. Their, their speech patterns float in their personality. They, they, they just happen. I'm one of these people who actually study human beings, and I watch them a great deal. You know? Basically, I'm from another planet, but you know what I mean. And really, that's why I build a character. And before long, they start interacting with, with each other. And they're out of your hands then. I mean, cow. But Cal absolutely hijacked me on one or two chapters and did things I did not plan him to do. But that's the way his character was going. And at one point where he did something very naughty, I literally stopped and said, you can't do that. But he did it. I couldn't stop him. (laughs) And is is there actually one character in particular you most most recon with? You, You just like, you're basically writing that person and it's it's you no no, none of them this is everyone says that you must have a favorite character this is the problem i don't and that's what makes it so hard for me to choose characters when i'm writing because none of them are me i don't I, i don't i don't want to put me in a book because i know what i think i want to know what other people think and the other people are their characters I want to go places I've not been before. I want to think things I haven't thought before, which is why I like to be in different characters. Um, I think, and this often shocks people, because when they meet me, they assume, for example, that I'm one of my characters from the Web Best Our War series, and I've, I've had some real shocked reactions from people that I'm nothing like my characters. But I certainly don't have any preferences with them. That's the awful thing. Um, I think they, they, all got, they, they all get their turn. Um, I'm, I'm someone who likes series basically I'm not a standalone book person I'm not capable of tying up something in one book and it's the same for my own West War series I will look at a character one way in one book then they'll get someone else's view of them in another book and eventually by about book three you will see their point of view of them so they're all very different pictures because none of us see ourselves as others see us and the exploration of individual characters is really what's the most interesting thing for me so so no, writing me, whatever me is, uh, would be incredibly boring for me. I really couldn't do it. Okay. Um, 
we uh we you actually started the book in in a, in a fashion that's actually very funny and all the way through the book there's sarcasms and euphemisms that just yeah. make the book funny from the beginning to the end and it's honestly one of the one of the few books i was just reading and laughing at the same time and i think the best joke actually comes breaking the ice at the very beginning and you actually gave the boys the black armor Yeah, there's a lot of parallels with that in real life. Um, anyone who's been reading my live journal blog will have seen some of the posts from from soldiers who've had very similar things happen. Um, a mate of mine, Ray, uh, it was I think a couple of weeks before he came back from uh, from Baghdad that they actually gave him desert camo. He had been working in forest camo, the green camo, before for about a year. <laughs> and this is not unusual. And I thought, well, you know, this is the running gag about sort of lousy kit and stuff breaking down, which Actually, if, if you're in the field, it is not a joke. But the way they get through it is to see the funny side of it. I mean, obviously, sometimes not having the right kit costs cost lives, and that is tragic. But the whole black armor thing just summed up for me the whole sort of army, uh, army, army procurement problems that they can have. That you know, you, you open the tin and you find you've got you know like 500 Russian packs of curry, and nobody likes curry and that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm interested that you say you think it's funny though, because. Um, Um, I think I mean I've already had a lot of emails back from people, and a lot of people have found it deeply tragic. And I must admit, I actually found it deeply tragic writing it. I didn't I didn't find it funny. I always find fire humour really desperate and close to tears. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested that you do find it funny. I I actually find it funny in the sarcastic kind of way that it is. Right. Um, it is a tragic book altogether when you when you take the lo the, the the bigger picture of it. But there's all those, you know, five cracks all over the place, and yeah. and from time to time the little interaction with with Scorch and all that, uh, even from eating and and uh, and uh, and Jusic from time yeah. to time, all the characters at some point in the book will just say something to relieve the tension, and that will make the book like funny to me, but yeah. not funny as an entire joke. No, but no. The, the no, it, it, I, I think I think you hit the man on, on on the head there when you say it's 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 about releasing the tension. I mean that's the whole purpose of humor in these circumstances. But yeah, yeah, you you, can, you almost feel at any point that they could have made a joke or burst it into tears. And I think you know that's I, I think that's where it got quite difficult for me when, when when I was in the character's head at that point. You didn't know which way you were going to roll in any situation. Yeah. Because you know, another another funny part of the book is when they actually get rescued from uh, yeah. f from a ship in the beginning. When when Delta Squad actually has to rescue Omega Squad from uh, from a ship in which they're they're in big trouble, and th there you have Phi just like going to Scorch in 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 the safety um, umbilical. Uh, Tube. He's like, so is that when we start panicking and just like going running around in the cockpit? <laughs> and you've got Boss on the other end. He's like, you might want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, that is so cracking up, and it's just like some way of releasing the tension between those guys that you can that you can read there. Yeah, you can definitely see five five panic level is indicated by how mouthy he gets because yeah. he's sort of making these cracks con constantly. And then you see the internal dialogue, and he's just really very scared, which, which of course, any sense of human being would, would be. I mean, they, they really don't know if they're going to live or die in the, in the next few seconds. 
that's it. And it's it's definitely something that was uh, that was incredible to read all the way through, and that's why that's why I really loved and enjoyed that book uh, a little bit much more than Hard Contact because it was just funny in that in that fashion. And all the way through the book, there's those like stress reliefs cracks by the characters. And it just brings you all the way back into the, the the mood that they're in at that point. You're stressed for them, yeah. but then there's they are they are two very different books. Um, but, I mean, the thing about hard contact was uh, I had a very loose brief. Well, I have a very loose brief on all books, to be honest. But I wasn't really sure how far I could go. This was the first time I'd ever done, and this is my first year, year as a novelist. You know, I mean, this is only my second year as a novelist, so uh, it's not as if I've uh, been doing this for a hundred years. But I really wasn't sure how far I could, I could go, and I really wasn't sure whether I could do a very long book, you know, because I'm, because I'm a journalist. If someone says to me they want something of 100,000 words, and I do 100,000 words, I don't do 99,199, I don't do 100,001 words. So I stuck to length, and then, I'm, then someone said afterwards, well, you could have done any length you wanted, really. So when I did triple zero, I thought, I'll write my natural length, which is 150,000, I just write till I stop, basically. I mean, there was, there was about 200,000, but when I looked at it, it needed to come out. It just was too flabby. But um, you know, there, there, are, there, there are a lot more characters. There's backstory because it's already happened. You want to see them change. So it is obviously going to be a very different book. And also, the actual lads have changed. When they, when they, when they meet up in hard contact, they are basically 10-year-old boys. Or 10, 11-year-old boys, whatever. Um, they know everything about being a soldier and nothing about being a human being, really. They've been locked up with this awful... I mean, even, even with Cal, it's a terrible life. And then they spend this year when they're actually out. Admittedly, out is not just having a lot of fun. It's basically trying to avoid getting killed and doing a lot of blowing up and killing. But they have grown up, and their, their thoughts change. You can see that they think differently. They speak differently. They use different words. They've actually suddenly, in one year, turned into a quite cynical men. And that actually changes the whole dynamic, because... They were still seeing their way through these strange feelings in hard contact, that they tried to feel what failure was like and letting cows down. But now they've been through all that gamut of emotions. They've got a lot more to say for themselves, and they actually take more charge of their own lives. So, yeah, it's going to mean a big difference in how they interact. And I, I have to say, your representation of Cal Skirata in this book just made him my new Star Wars hero of all time. Good. Um, I just felt good in a sort of mm, yes way because he is one of these people you love or hate. Um, I actually like him. Uh, I wouldn't turn my back on him, but I like him very much. And there's no doubt that he's utterly, utterly loyal. Yeah. And that's a wonderful thing. And uh, there's no denying that he, you know, he, he that he has his boys in interest at heart. And I think the relationship between him and Aldo and the other Knowles is very touching. Um. The actual opening scene, uh, I mean, yeah, sorry, I, I, for anyone who's not read, this is a spoiler warning, please put your fingers in your, in your ears and I'll count you down, one, two, three, uh, where he saves the gnolls from being killed. Um, yeah, that... I just had to get that sense of outrage about what he would feel. Now, this is a man who has been dumped by, effectively his, his wife left, left him and taken the kids. It's not surprising. Um, he's awfully difficult to live with. He really is. But he's got this thing about, he, he's a Mando father and he's failed at that. And when he sees these kids in trouble, and serious trouble, that these, you know, that, that they're, they're basically going to be cold, they are going to be put down like animals, he just 
it, she just basically flips. And that's the point at which he decides that he's going to throw his entire life into looking after them. He's got nothing else. He's lost his family. He's down on his luck. He's, he's sort of wondering who he is and what he's for. And he actually, they actually save him as much as he saves them. And that makes him desperately tragic. And it, I mean, it, it was it was just an awesome scene to actually bring into this book because it just made us understand much more all of the story that we heard about the null arts and even their interaction within the book. So that was that was actually the best scene you could actually have put in order for us to understand exactly where they yeah. came from. I hope it also explains to people why the rest of the clone army behaves uh, the way it does because if you can imagine. Uh, the Nulls and the RCs are the lucky ones. Uh, they are the ones who've had a, 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 who've had a, a sort of human being, someone of, of their own species looking out for them, bringing them up largely. Um, if you think of the troopers, they had nobody. And this is why I've got Jella Oberyn saying, uh, if, well, I'm not sure I can find the, uh, the epigram, but Jella Oberyn's talking to his wife and saying, you know, when sergeants say, I am your mother, I am your father. Yeah. He says, what happens when that's true? And what about the, the troopers who don't have anybody? What sort of life was it like for them? And it must have been horrific. They have only their brothers. So when people say, oh, why didn't the clans desert? Why didn't... Where would they go? They know... They, they have been, they've been brought up in this awful, isolated way with no in, 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 in interaction, particularly women. Uh, they are utterly reliant on their brothers. Uh, there's no relationship that they that they that they can have that they can have with have with the Kaminoans. Uh, you can't expect to have a relationship with a Jedi because there are you know I'm, I actually haven't got a number for the uh, for the Jedi generals. I don't think you ever pin that down, but you can imagine they're very thinly spread. You've got one, two, three million troops depending on what time uh, what stage of the war you're at. A few Jedi. They have only got themselves. Where would they run to? What sort of life would they build? They actually couldn't. They have to draw everything, all their culture, all their support, everything they've got, from their brothers. And you only get a glimpse of this with the Nulls, but if you can imagine that because they've been subjected to this as very young children, the Nulls are always afraid of failing because they're associated with being killed. And there's that bit where Ordo talks, talks to Cal and, he, and he's very frightened because he's let him down and Cal realises that He's still basically, part of his mind is still that two-year-old going on four, being told that he wasn't good enough and that he had to die. And that's absolutely horrific. Um, we, have, we actually have a question about n speaking about Null Harks yeah. uh, and to bring us back in a little, <laughs> a little better mood. Uh, yeah, sorry, that was a bit depressing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sarah is asking, do, uh, does Null Ark Trooper Muriel as a girlfriend? Um, I, I, I will have to ask him. I can actually see him being a, a little bit more of a man about town. He has a, he has a, higher, a, he has a higher view of himself than Aldo does. Um, Cal would like to see them all with nice girls. Um, I'm not sure whether we will see him, see him or with the girlfriend, but we can hold out hope. Uh, let's just put this way. He does an awful lot of travelling around the galaxy, and nobody knows where he's gone, like all the Nulls. They go off and do things. Aldo's the one that stays at home with his cow much of the time. So for, for all we know, he may be having a very good time. 
<laughs> All right. And uh, I mean, I'm not sure whether whether, uh, whether he's turning in, in, into the heartthrob one because he was blonde at, at one stage. But I know someone reacted to him going blonde. So blondes um, <laughs> do have more fun. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I mean, you'll uh, see his brothers. Uh, well, you'll see well, one of his brothers in uh, the short coming up in Insider Odds. Uh, uh, you'll see Prudy. Pr- Prudy is a totally different character. Um, a little bit off the wall. Well, they're, they're all slightly odd than old, but they've all got different ways, ways, ways of being loony. And uh, I must admit, I rather like Prudy. Prudy. Aldo is very serious. Um, Aldo is on the way to getting a girlfriend. He's not sure what he's going to do with a girlfriend, but he's on the way to getting one, as, as you can tell from the book. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a very, like, funny way on how they actually get those girlfriends. <laughs> it's it's it, They just literally fall on their lap. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it says a lot for uh, Agent Wenham that she takes it so well. She's obviously quite a, a trooper. Um, she's quite unusual in that she's about the only good-looking character uh, that I've... Well, the only good-looking female character. I'm sort of known for my views on hating the sort of classic beauty from central casting because... Everyone in Star Wars is glamorous. All the women are beautiful. Well, life ain't like that, as far as I'm concerned. And, and I thought that us ugly birds needed, uh, needed a bit of a role model, which is why a lot of my characters are perfectly ordinary women, like the best of us. But I always said, if I ever had a beautiful character, that they would pay the price for it, that they would, that they would suffer. Because um, it's not... Uh, however great it, uh, people think it is to be very, very beautiful, there are problems with it. People treat you different. Sometimes they treat, well, not that I know, but I am told by beautiful people that people treat them differently. They have these expectations of them. And one of the things is that you can get quite hostile reactions, apparently, from men because you automatically size up a partner. You automatically think, am I in their league? And sometimes men who feel that a very woman isn't in their league and they, they, they don't have a, have a chance, they get quite hostile. And I thought, well, she's going to be someone who really suffers that. But, of course, Aldo's got no concept of, of not being in anyone's league. He, he's got a very high opinion of himself, which is justified, partly given to him by Cal, so he's not frightened of her. And, and partly it's his naive nature that enables him to start to move towards that, that, that sort of relationship. Now, I won't say where it's going, because I don't even know if, if I'm going to have another book to do it in, but whatever it is, it isn't going to be easy. Let's put it that way. Okay, well, that that was actually another question of Sarah. Is there any is there is there going to be any other Republic Commando book? Uh, the way Triple Zero ended, after all, uh, it seemed it was setting up for a sequel. So yes, I always end a book in a way that can be picked up. Um, I did it with Hard Contact because we we just didn't know. Uh, the, the the simple answer is at this moment I do not know if there will be more books. Uh, Sue Rostoni has said on the, on the TOS boards that it would be nice if there were. In the end, it's down to Del Rey, and Del Rey, like any publishing company, can only produce another book if the market demands it. It has really got to, it really depends on sales of Triple Zero. Um, if you're asking whether I've got the material, uh, I've planned out, well, in order to write hard content, I had to know what happened to all the characters. So I spent a lot of time building a complete character arc that goes beyond episode three. So I know what happens to all of them. I know what impact their lives have on everything. And I can basically turn out as many books as they want. Uh, it's a matter of if the market wants books. I would love to do more. I really love doing these books. Um, 
It's an awful thing to say, and I hope my publishers are not listening half the columns, but, I mean, that was all right. Don't Diana knows this. I really love the Republic Commando books, best of all. I mean, I love all my books, but there's something very special when I start writing those. I really, really love doing them. It's it's almost as if you were Cal and you were writing all, all the stories about your boys, and that's probably one reason you like it so much. Um, I think the reason I like it isn't that because um, I'm not I really don't identify with Cal. Um, I'm, I say I'm, I like him, but I wouldn't trust him. Um, I find it, I, I find, I'm finding it, it's interesting to get to know his little foibles. Uh, so I don't identify with him, but. I have a sense with the book of going somewhere where I've not been with it before, and, I, and I'm, I'm a bit of a novelty thrill seeker. I think what it is, um, I, I'm, I'm basically in my other series a sort of hard, hard science fiction writer. I just do straight science, and I do straight military and straight political. I would never have looked at cloning. Cloning in hard science fiction has been done to death. It is boring, and I wouldn't have done it because if I had done it. And someone said to me, okay, do a book about, uh, about trying to clone a human army. I would have gone straight to the hard science and discovered everything that would go wrong, and, and basically there wouldn't have been a, an army. I didn't have that choice with this because the movie said that the clone army worked just fine. So I had to look at it from another point, point of view, and it made me get out of this straitjacket of being into this me mechanistic world of real politics. and actually start to ask some really quite difficult questions. And the book changed my mind about some fundamental moral issues. I mean, I won't say what, what they are, but they are very fundamental. And it changed me in a way. So what, I think what I'm seeing with the books is the books are changing me. It's not that I'm writing about my boys. And I know I say that as a joke because actually that, that comes from a newspaper in the UK. Uh, uh, if there are any British listeners, they will know that The Sun is the paper that supports our boys. That's what the always call soldiers. Um, so it's, it's less about my boys and more about I'm not sure where it is going, and I feel, um, with my other books, I really do feel I know where it's going. Whereas with this, I really am jumping off this cliff and just hoping for a soft landing, and, and it's it a lovely feeling. I just find out things about life by writing it. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the way you wrote the book is similar to Art Contact. Well, now, on your live journal, and I quote... You said, as I said last June, while I was finishing, while I was finishing it, it's not the same as Hard Contact. It's a di very different book. It's not funny. The humor is driven by pain. It's not easy, and it's not nice. Not only do the good guys not have a celebratory metal presentation in traditional Star Wars style, you won't even be sure who the good guys are. It's a hard read. Several readers have said it. Uh, left them emotionally drained. It was pretty shagged out after five weeks of living through it, too. Um, you put a lot of research into your books. Mm -hmm. and, and you just mentioned that you pretty much were, were put up with a situation where the clone army worked perfectly. Yeah. Now, you did, you did put the null arc into your story for Republic Commando. Yeah. I have two questions. Yeah. First one I actually have to ask you to put Lucasfilm aside because I just want an honest opinion from Karen Travis, the writer. Okay. Do you believe it's a, that the Kaminoan have possibly developed some null Republic Commando, but they were never actually shown to Django or any of the other training sergeants, and they were just disposed of? 
that's a good one. Um, I can imagine uh, that they probably had far more failures than they actually told the customer about because that's the nature of business. Now, that's me reacting like me. Um, they would obviously only show their customer the good side. I, I would have thought that they might well, well have had a, a lot of... Uh, a, a lot of tries to get it right. Um, I never believe what a salesman will tell me. So possibly, I, I certainly haven't written them in. I, I think I think it's possible to go too far with adding these things in. Um, I wanted the nulls in purely as a sort of experiment um, to basically see what would go wrong if you try to enhance the genome, and they obviously did cause problems. But I'm mean, sorry. I mean, does that answer your question, or or, or, uh, or have I skirted around on that? <laughs> Well, that, no, that was a good answer. <laughs> um, I, admit, I actually didn't. I actually didn't think of more RC. I could imagine them trying out a few different batches. And okay. Thinking, didn't like that. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing for me is the whole science fiction writer is how they actually do the testing that early in life. But they've obviously got their methods, and they've got, and remember, they they do actually say in the movie this is one of the best they've ever created. So they have some experience of actually cloning in large numbers. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure whether. I mean, what happened to those art armies? You actually hear them say that. This is one of the best we've ever created. And, and I sort of thought at the time, what do they mean by that? But, you know, that is one, 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 one of these mysteries I have to ponder, I think. That's something for another story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and especially one, you're, you're almost setting up for one with the uh, the character that Cal um, Scarrata and the, the boys and his, his boys are going after at the end of the book. Well, yes, old coat. Kosai, yes. Yeah. So she, she did a runner, didn't she? Oh, we don't know. Well, we'll leave that to the for, for the to the uh, to the readers to find out. Yeah, yeah. The I mean, what we what we obviously know from the comics is that she went missing after the battle. Yeah. Um, and people thought that she had defected, but she definitely left the, left the planet, and that's where they're looking for her. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I just hope that I get the chance to explore that further. Well, honestly, I hope that too. Um, the other question I had about the way you wrote the book was basically how much of your, uh, your, your, your own personal experience or how much of military research actually goes into your work? Because it's so much more realistic than the other Star Wars book, as you mentioned on, on to your live journal. Uh, is Gritty and more raw than the super comic book style stuff? Um... It's largely, well, I always say to people, some of it's real life and some of it isn't, and the trick is to spot which is which. Um, what isn't real life is extrapolated from conversations I've had with people who've done very similar things for real. So, it's, so yeah, it's largely grounded in the real world. Uh, even the armaments are grounded in the real world. I mean, I find it quite interesting just how much real science you, you can get into Star Wars. I know, I know people outside Star Wars say, oh, well, it's not real science, but you can get a lot in there. You really can. I mean, uh, the, the uh, PET laser, the uh, deuterium fluoride laser that they've got now on the DEES, that is, that is real. That's used. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how widely used it is, but that genuinely works, and it's a nasty piece of kit. Uh, and that's exactly what it does to you. If you, if you get hit, hit by that, it actually hurts. Um, there's a wonderful article in, in, in New Scientist, a journalist volunteered to be shot with it and wished he hadn't. It's very nasty. Uh, a lot of the stuff is, is real. Um, I've had a lot of things I invented for a hard contact, but I've had people since say, how did you know about that? Because it's being done now. And I think that science fiction writers get used to that. You're always thinking, what if? And 
a lot of the time you end up coming up with stuff that, 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 that basically gets made. So um, because I'm someone who's grounded in the real world, I'm not, I'm not capable of doing the sort of fantasy leap of the imagination. It's all got extrapolated from what is. So a lot of the situations in, in uh, Triple Zero, uh, a lot of them come from stuff I've heard, seen, read about the NFAS. Um, I mean, I've said this, that people will look at it and they think terrorism, they think Middle East terrorism. Um, being British, I've largely drawn from the experiences we've had in the last 30 years with, with our own homegrown terrorism. So this is as much about Northern Ireland as anything. And the whole sense of living in a city where you don't know who the next door neighbour is, and you're not sure if they're a terrorist or not, and where the lines are very blurred, and where people are going about their normal civilian lives around you while you're fighting a war. There's that strange feel that I think uh, definitely comes out of somewhere like Northern Ireland. You might not get out, out, of, out, of, out of something like, like, like Iraq now. I mean, there, there, there is this sense of it being next door. There is this sense of it being in your home. All right. Um, I'm going to have two more questions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask one now and one at the end. Uh, there's, there's actually, you, you've, you've been exploring the Mandalorian culture a lot over the past few months yeah. uh, in, the, in the Star Wars Insiders, on your website. Uh, there's actually now a lexicon that's out and mm-hmm. some grammar rules and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there's one word. Mm-hmm. That's in there, and I have to ask: yeah. Is it because of Danny's involvement in Star Wars fandom? Because lunatic yeah. is one of the word in the lexicon. I think it's dihin. Uh, it's uh, D- Dini. It's Dini. It's no, Dini. I can tell you exactly where, where that comes from. That's one of the few words. Hello. Yes, we're still here. Sorry, I had a bit of a strange tone there. Um, that's one of the words that I uh, borrowed from uh, another language, and it's from Romani, and actually comes from my own hometown dialect in Portsmouth. Uh, and I grew up, up with it. If, if someone was stupid, you say, oh, oh, you're a dinny, you are, you're a dinlo. And you notice the planet dinlo in triple zero. Um, that turned out to be a Romani word. Now, I've got a few words in there that have come from other languages or I've deliberately put in there. Most of them I've evolved from bases. But that, you just happen to pick on the one word that has a very special meaning for me. <laughs> And it has a very special mean, meaning to us as well. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, you're not, you're not calling that Danny Dinny now, are you? That's very cruel. Cool. Well, that's his nickname. Oh. He chose that nickname on his own. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's it. Yeah. Um, and he actually has a question for you later on. So I'm going to go straight into the uh, the fan questions because the last the last thing I have to say is not really a question, but more uh, a statement I'd like to make to the Star Wars fandom. I want to scare you a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to bring you up to this. <laughs> um, so we have Cornass in the chat who says. Uh, Do you, uh, well, you pretty much answered, like, if you're going to be writing any other Star Wars books about, uh, about the Republic Commandos, but is there any, any other books that you might write for Lucasfilm that won't be Republic Commando, but that might actually include the Republic Commandos in them? Uh, the only other books I've been asked, asked to do are, I think, the ones everyone knows about, which is the Legacy of the Force ones. And, and that's it. I, uh, the, 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 the There are no other books I'm writing. Okay. Um, were you were you actually aware of the leg- legacy story when you wrote 
Republic Commando? Uh, well, did, did, I, did I know that I was going to get the contract? Uh, let's think of the timing. Um, with Hard Contact, obviously I did. Hard yeah. Contact hadn't come out when they offered me the Legacy series, so I knew I was doing Legacy from about September 2004, uh, and I heard about Triple uh, Zero must have been end of April, beginning of May 2005. So, no, I knew about Legacy before I did Triple Zero. Okay. That's... I'm just... I had the story arc planned out for further Republic Commando stories, obviously, because that's what I needed to write hard content. I needed to know the whole thing. And that's why I needed the language as well, so... I'm just getting some intel, like, sneakingly from you. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, Nina wants to know, what do the, do the RC wear? Is it boxer shorts or just the plain white uh, tidy whitey? Oh, oh, thongs. No, seriously. Oh, dear, yeah. Sorry, the yeah, thongs will follow me around for the rest of my life. This is my own fault. And I was rather fixated on the undies. Um, which is why I had to, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think everyone knows the story that I actually signed thongs at, at C3, which serves me right for most of Actually, this is Ryan Kaufman's fault. Ryan Kaufman started this. He started this, uh, so I shall have to sort him out later. But um, I look at it this way. If you actually look at those bodysuits, let's get, let's get down and personal now. You look at those bodysuits. They are <laughs> like a wetsuit, you know. They're like this neoprene-type feel to them. Um, they have to be easy easy to wash, but they're going to be very tight-fitting. So I, I, I think that they need something that they need something like, um, well, let's say, probably something like boxers. But they are black. We, we know that because we see them washing their undies or at least hanging them up, up to up, up to dry in, in triple zero. Um, is that enough detail about the uh, <laughs> the underwear of Mondays, uh, <laughs> or would you like more? Well, I, I guess you can save that for the, sh- the upcoming short story odds that's going <laughs> to be coming out in the Insider. <laughs> <laughs> for for the fangirls' pleasure. <laughs> Uh, Fizior is asking The Mandalorians depicted in the Tomage's artwork for the Mandalorian Culture article in the Vaunted Tervo and the Father and Son uh, have already made an impression on fans From what time scale are these Mandalorians and will they feature in any of Karen's future work maybe Legacy? Yes (laughs) That's all I'll say Um, I absolutely love the stuff that Tom did Uh, I mean, one of, one of the joys of working, uh, of working on a short, short, short story from Cider is that you get to work with the art artist, which is great. I mean, you don't just get the artwork dumped on, on, on you. You know who the artist is going to be, and you can actually talk to the artist, which is lovely. And uh, Tom emailed me and said, look, you know, uh, I'm doing this. What are your thoughts? What do you want to see? What should we be looking at? So we knocked a few ideas around. And the... Out of all the images, because what, what happens is I, I will sort of see them as pencil roughs and I'll see them um, black and white and I'll see colour. Uh, when I saw the pencil roughs, the father and son one really blew me away. I absolutely loved it. And it had, you know, it really summed up this whole relationship thing. And, uh, by, and by the time we got to the final stage, uh, I'd already written some characters into bloodlines. And when I saw these faces, I thought, yeah, I know who these people are now. Um, uh, particularly the father and son, which I thought was gorgeous. So um, I don't think that's a, that's a major spoiler. They're actually quite minor characters, but it, 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 it's not—it's not possible to look at Tom's work and not see people there. It's, uh, you, know, you couldn't just say that is a picture. You have to find out who these characters are. So, um, but 
So between me and Tom, we actually know who all these two people are. They're oh. not all in Bloodlines, but and they're not all in the Legacy of the Fourth series, but but we worked out who they are. We're, we're going to have to to have Tom back on the show then, I guess. Yes, indeed, yes. <laughs> um, we, have, uh, we have a very old uh, friend of ours from the official site, Dark Moose, is asking you, part of what... Oh, excellent, yeah. <laughs> Part of what makes Tribzip so fascinating is that much of it seems to emulate current events. Given your background in defense and journalism, how much of that goes in triple zero in happening, like, for real out, out here? Uh, and a follow-up question. What do your military friends think of triple zero? Did some of them did some proofreading of the book? Yeah. Um, so, first, first question first, yeah, I mean, um, nothing gets left on the cutting room floor. I've, I've had quite an interesting career myself, uh, and I basically kept my notes in my head. So, an awful lot of, 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 of things in all my books have actually happened, all the extrapolations of what has happened. I'll put a little caveat on that. Real life doesn't make good fiction, because real life doesn't have to make sense, but there are things that you need to put in fiction to make the rest of it real, like the attitudes, like the sort of things that go wrong, like the sort of scenarios. And you can also plunder history for them, but think about what history doesn't give you is it doesn't give you the individual person's view. It's very much a sort of helicopter view, an overview. If you're talking to individual people, which is what I've spent most of my life doing, then you get the individual pictures of how people feel when a bomb goes off next to them, uh, what happens when you've got to go and clear up after a bomb, that, that sort of thing. I spent a very uh, sobering day with the, with the, with the Royal Military Police looking at some of the work that they do. And, uh, well, I, I won't get into the nasty detail, but there's some sobering stuff. So, yeah, a lot of that gets regurgitated. I feel I've got a duty to tell the truth in fiction. I know I keep saying this, and oh, God, Karen, you know, you're off again, but it's true. Um, fiction gets under our radar. Fiction, whether we like it or not, ultimately starts to wear away at the way we see the world, especially if it's about things we don't experience. So I, I, I'm really very careful about being true, true to life with the military. I'm really careful about getting politics right. I'm really careful about getting this right. Uh, and uh, it's no secret, I've got a great love um, of the military and I have enormous respect and a great deal of love for our, our servicemen and women who basically put their lives on the line so we don't have to. So I owe them the truth. Um, the military has been very kind to me uh, over the years uh, and I really like to get it right. Uh, the reaction of my military readers is different to my civilian readers. Military readers see totally different books. Um, the email that I get, and obviously I do have the military people that read it. I mean, Ray is one of the people who, who reads it. Um, the military readers see meaning in it and see depth in it that civilians won't because they've not been through it. And I'll get to, well, they'll actually pick up on different things. The military side of it, they say, yeah, that's just what it's like, that's how it feels. This sort of thing about about just looking at, out for your mates and just trying to get through the day is a very powerful thing, this bond thing. And the sort of things that go wrong and the things that they're expected to do and the things that civvies never hear about. So, yeah, I get a very strong reaction. I've got a lot of military readers and obviously what they think matters enormously to me. I mean, every, I mean obviously what all readers think matter, but I'm really worried about what military readers think, think of me because I, I absolutely need to get it right and I need to do them justice. Well, I, I, I can just say thank you for thank you to those guys and, and gals because uh, I think they just help, help you bring the whole camaraderie feeling, the whole brotherhood of, of war feeling to those books. 
and that's just incredible. Uh, Admiral's asking, are there any possible ideas about our Omega Squad deals with Order 66, given Darman's relationship with a certain Jedi? Right. Let's just put it this way, and you're going to hate me for saying this. I know exactly how they all deal with Order 66. All of them. But I'm not going to say... You know, you're pretty much right. We're going to hate you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that isn't... I mean, also, don't, don't, don't think of Order 66 as the be or end of the story. It's obviously major, because it's clearly... I mean, when people saw it in the cinema, it obviously shocked them. Um... It didn't shock me, to be honest, uh, for various reasons, partly because I knew about it, but um, uh, all, the, all the guesses I've seen about what will happen, none of them are right so far. I don't think anyone knows which way my brain is working. I know I've got a bit of a strange mind, but um, uh, no. <laughs> well, well, hopefully... I'm going on that one. <laughs> Hopefully, my idea of the of the story is close to yours, and uh, I just I just hope it all ends well. That that's all I'm gonna say. On to the next question. <laughs> um, from uh, Fizior, are there any plans to further elaborate on the Chiwival Dar? Uh, failing that you do have notes for yourself on who else made up the, uh, this lovely crew. There's clearly an enormous amount of backstory there. Um, there are some more of them that I've got stories for that I would like to bring in at a later date. Um, the interesting ones will be the uh, 25 who weren't Mandalorian. That will be fascinating. I haven't quite made up, up, up my mind exactly how they're made, they've, they've been up yet, but uh, even among the Mandalorian ones, they're, they're a pretty mixed bunch. They're a pretty mixed bunch. And... Well, this is this is one of the joys of having a sort of story like this is there's so many places you can go with it if people want more want more material because it's a fully fleshed out story. But it makes you wonder, I mean, you know, to just abandon your life for an indefinite period of time, you know, you know what sort of person does it? Well, we know what Cal was like. Uh, we know what Val was like. Well, we, we almost know what Val was like. Val's got an, a very complex backstory. But these are people who just, for whatever reason, decided, yes, they would just disappear. They would effectively die uh, because their, their families couldn't be told where they were if they had families. So these are some unusual people, and a lot of them are going to have very murky pasts and needed to disappear permanently. So, yeah, there, there would be some interesting stories there, yeah. Okay. Uh, following up on that question, what was Cal's thought on Spar and his separatist-aligned Mandos? What was Cal's uh, Skirata? thoughts on sparring as separatist aligned Mandos if any of, of the Mandalorian uh, Chiuvaldar members were still present in Camino when Spars 212 attacked uh, surely, surely there must have been some standoff between them I'm not sure how many of those were left because the way I saw it was as soon as the army, army was deployed they basically got their money and most of them would have gone. It, as, as far as I can see, there have been very few who stayed on. We only know that Val stayed on and, and, and the Cal stayed on. I actually saw the rest of them as going because their job was done. They'd finished the training. So they just scattered. Okay. And that's going to be an interesting one. I mean, we don't know whether any were left. I didn't really see them staying. Partly because of the kind of characters they were. Um, but that would be an interesting one to look at. All right. 
we have Tahiri who's asking, have you thought about choreographing the Da Werda Verda? And, mm, yeah. and asking the 501st to perform it. But I gotta top that question actually. Um, if you if any if anyone has ever seen the movie Once Were Warrior with uh with actually Django <laughs> oddly enough. Um and well both Timur Morrison and Rena Owen are, are in that movie. Um the question is, is it much like a Mahori dance? No. Uh, someone else has asked me that. Um, I've tried desperately to think of a description, but because I'm so poor at these sort of arty things, I know what it looks like. There's actually an interesting background to this because uh, when I went to Lucasfilm, sorry, when I went from Central Lucas Arts, um, when I visited Lucasfilm, because that's quite a big trip for me from the UK, I met Jesse Harlan, who was a, a wonderful guy, a fabulous composer, and of course the guy who started the whole, man, whole Mandalorian language thing, bless him. And uh, he he played me the game sound soundtrack at maximum volume. I'd only seen the lyrics up to then, remember. And he played me the sound at maximum volume. And the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and I thought, oh, yes. <laughs> and it was fabulous. I had this picture in my head that never went away. And that was a picture that went in Triple uh, Zero, where they do this thing, which is basically hammering on each other's armor. And it's very complex. When you get it wrong, you get a smack in the mouth. Um... Just like just like Ordo in the end. Sorry. Just like Ordo at the end. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean the whole thing is is, is about training people in movement and to trust their guy ne- ne- next to them. It is about team team bonding. It's a sort of dangerous version of volleyball for the fire brigade. You know what I mean? Um, and I was talking to Jess, and uh, I said I'd finished triple zero, and he said, you know, it'd be really nice if if if, if we could have done dial with them banging on perhaps their armour and I said Jess don't say another word I'm going to send you the manuscript and it was spooky because what I'd written was what he had seen and we both had that same vision from listening to that music and we hadn't said it to each other and that was just so weird I mean it just had to be um, so the nearest thing I can think of you know the Austrian dance I think it's Austrian where they in Lederhosen and they sort of bash each other I don't, I don't know what it's called perhaps someone uh, from that part of the world can tell me but there's this controlled violence, although it's not controlled with the Dawerda. And I saw it more like that. Uh, the, uh, the, the haka is very much, um, is a much more graceful thing. They don't hit each other. It's a challenge to incomers, you know, uh, and if I understand it correctly, that it basically boils down, down, down to, either you come in peace, or if you want to fight, then we'll fight. And it's pretty fearsome, and of course, everyone who loves rugby knows what it looks like. The, the Dawera is much more internally focused on the dancers. It's not for the outside. It's a way of bonding. It's a way of getting themselves together. It's a way of training themselves. So I suppose the actual sounds might sound quite chant-like. So they might make people think, oh, but that's a haka. If you saw the movements the way they're in my head, they're more like, they're much more stylized. Uh, and they're much more, they're much more about, about, about percussion. I'm now straying into music areas about which I know absolutely nothing, which must be clear to people. So I'm probably not using the right words, but um, I'm really, I'm, I'm actually going to try and get this sorted. I'm not sure how long it's going to take me, but I, I have to see it done once in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure some people will be working on it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure someone's already already done it now, and I'll probably make a better job of it than I will. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we got another question from Dark Moose. 
How important is it to dispel the idea that these clones have no individual personality? Some fans seem to see them as non-human, but they are very human and fans are catching on. Oh, Lucy always gets me started. Lucy knows this is a button to press to get Karen frothing and ranting, bless him. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I get, I actually get quite bent out of shape about this because, um, it really worries me when I see how people define what's human and I think, well, if you don't think they're human, what do you think of people who aren't the same colour as you? What do you think of people who aren't the same gender as you? Now, I am not politically correct. Anyone who knows me knows that I am far from PC, but there's this dehumanisation thing that really worries me. And I think this is something, well, I mean, I'm actually quoting Lucy here, but I think we both had similar thoughts, but that's the challenge in the films, that these guys are not just units. And that's what's set up, really, for episode three. It's a really big moral question. And if we don't see them as people, then we're seeing what the Jedi didn't see, really, if you see what I mean. Um, that if you, once you stop thinking these guys are totally human, then you are on a slippery slope to moral degradation that will cost you dearly. You take it off the moral ball, and then we all suffer as a result. And I think that's a massively powerful message. There's this dehumanisation and distancing, that if someone's different to us in some way, that they don't feel, they don't think, and therefore they don't matter, and we can do what we like to them. Uh, it's the same way we treat animals. It's to say, well, that's me, and that's everything else, and I can do what the hell I like to it, and it, and and it doesn't feel, it doesn't matter. The point about them is that if you take a human genome, uh, you create a human. It doesn't matter how you change it, because what... If, if someone now has gene therapy, does that mean they're not human? Because that's what we're talking about. Where do you draw that line? You really can't. And we're going to be faced with that as a real issue within our lifetimes about uh, gene therapy. What does it make, make you? When you can choose changes, what does that make you? I think it's one of the most important questions there is. Um, people who are cloned are are less identical than identical twins. There's a very interesting paper. This is what I do with the boring science bit, people. Uh, a guy at the University of Cardiff has done a very good paper on the ethics of cloning, cloning humans. And uh, one of the most famous reproductive scientists in the UK, Professor Robert Winston, also makes the point that identical twins are more identical than clones. You get variations in clones because even if the genome is the same, the impact of the environment on those genes and the way they express, the way they show up in the body, are very different. Everyone's different. If you look at twins, um, you know, do you actually say, oh, well, look, they're obviously both the same, so they're not human because they're, they're, they're sort of cookie cutters of each other? No. Um, basically, anything... It is a question of what they feel. It's not a matter of whether they've got the same genome as you, whether they look like you, whether they look like someone else. It's about... What do they feel? And this is a Jeremy Bentham thing. And we're obviously going back into the 18th century heavy, heavy stuff there. And the question is not whether they can think, but whether they can feel. He used that phrase of animals. Um, and I've got the right chat there. And I think we'd say the same for clowns. The question is not whether they're the same or different, but how do they feel? And we know that they feel the same as anyone, that they feel fear and pain and love and loneliness and everything else. Because they can't do anything else but. You cannot program them. You can't program people 
in a, in a way you can program APC and make it perform the same every time or perform differently every time. They're just like us. Okay. Lucy's really starting it off now. You're going to have to stop me, otherwise I'll be rubbishing on about this all night. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really up to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got JMS who's wondering uh, if writing your Wes Har books alongside the Star Wars f- fiction made the two lines affect one another. It certainly made my Wes Har books better. Uh, they got more it, more emotional. Once I had sort of taken off that sort of safety belt uh, when I did Hard Contact, I thought, wow, this is different. Uh, when I went straight back to Wes Wes Har Wars, it was a much more emotional thing. I think the difference in the books is quite noticeable because I did uh, Hard Contact after I finished Crossing the Line. So that was the third novel I'd, I'd ever done, Hard Contact. And I went into the world before, which is a very different... I mean, it's got a much stronger feel than the, uh, than the previous two. It's not, well, I say strong, it's, it's, it's a more emotional book, and I think that's very much the result of Star Wars. It's, once I, I learned I could take my hands off the steering wheel, so to speak, with, with the more emotional stuff, I think it freed me up to, to write differently. The themes are very much the same. Um, because they are the biggest things we face. They're about what, what is it to be human? What is right? What is wrong? Are there absolutes? How should we treat each other? I mean, that's why they're the same. Um, because I like to go for the big themes. I mean, Star Wars is really, really good for looking at huge moral themes. Uh, this is why I get annoyed when people outside Star Wars go, oh, it's just Star Wars. I say, well, no, actually, come in and look at some of the issues that we debate. Look at some of the arguments we have about following orders, about about good and evil, about what's justified, you know, the, does the means justify the end, there's all this stuff, and it's really heavyweight. And I think people outside don't necessarily see it like that, they just see the movies and they see them as a wonderful rob. They don't look at the subtext, and there is always a subtext. There's That's what's really good about Star Wars, is because it strips away some of the supports that I talked about, you know, some hard science bit, it makes you look at the ethics. There's this really strong ethical, moral underpinning to the whole thing. Yeah, I can tell you I go to conventions here in Canada every summer and I almost always have the same discussions over and over about like the simple fact that there's at least three layers to the stories of each of the prequel movie and most people are just like well no it's just like one's a kid the other one's like a kid getting a girlfriend and the other one's just a kid getting angry well, no, there's much more to it than that. And yeah. after after about an hour of debating it with them, they're just like, hey, you're right, there is more to it than that. So, well, you, you, you know, like everybody else does, but I was brand new to Star Wars. I'd sort of reviewed it as a movie many years ago and totally forgot about it. And um, in my last job, I had a member of staff who uh, was, you know, was a very academic person. And she she just, she was talking about something someday. She said, Star Wars, oh, no, she, that is the most brilliant moral more um, sort of story that you'll ever see and she went through it with me and I thought I mean it all went over my head totally I thought well, I never really saw Star Wars like that. that's fascinating so she really started to open my eyes to it so I had a completely open mind when I was asked to do Star Wars but um, I think the joy of it is you can you can watch it as a kid and get one thing out of it you can watch it as an adult and get something else out of it and you can watch it again and again and again and get more levels out of it I mean when I saw Attack of the Clones for the first time I, it, I really didn't understand what was going on it was, it was very confusing. And I felt sorry for the soldiers and thought, well, that's awful. There are lots of them getting killed and nobody's doing anything about it. Um, then I had to look through it to, because I was doing hard contact and I saw totally different layers of meaning. And now, it's my favourite movie. All right, there's a lovely bit where Jango 
in that uh, Obi Obi Wan, which is the ultimate movie moment for me. You know, bang! I love that. <laughs> I know it's cut out with some versions, but I, I saw it after the watershed on the TV, and they they they, they left it in. And I see so many more layers in that film now. I really do. Yeah. Um, Dark Moose has another question, and I have to say, it's pretty good. Uh, what, some people have made an issue that the numbers of the forces between the cloned army and the droid army are apparently imbalanced. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there is a perception of lack of realism. Can you say re- anything regarding this perception? And I remember, I actually wrote to you about the numbers of uh, Republic Commandos yeah. versus ARC troopers and null ARCs. And I'm like, this just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yes, do you remember the answer I gave you? Well, I do. You don't, do you? <laughs> I, I, do beca- I do. I do, because I was like, wow, that, that's, that's awesome. You actually mentioned that the number of, for- of special forces within the, uh, the, the Royal Navy forces were much, much more smaller than the ones of the I Grand Army of the Republic. Uh, I, think, I think you had said that you felt, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you said that you thought, thought 10,000 commandos was too many. I fe- yeah, I felt, yeah, I felt it was... And, and, and I said, well, would you be surprised to know there are only something like 6,500 Royal Marines and uh, an unspecified number of SAS that we're not talking about anywhere near in the thousands, we're talking about in the hundreds probably. Um, of, uh, and that's for an army of the UK size. So 10,000 with the Gali, a tiny number of special forces. It really is incredibly small. But yeah. that was the figure that, uh, that came up. And I think you also, you, you've almost got to see, you have to see it in the context. Just say, well, why have they got 10,000 10, 10, of them? I mean, that was Luke LucasArts' figure. And I thought that was a sensible figure because what people forget, this is a managed war. This is not two sides. This is one man playing chess with two, two sets of pieces. He's managing the whole lot. So uh, that was never intended to be a real army to start with. It had one purpose to disperse the Jedi uh, and get them in, 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 in places where they were vulnerable to being killed. And that's the whole purpose of the war. And you look at it from that, it looks very, very different. Now, there are reasons why I will not uh, go into my explanation, but, uh, I, but it's all in the Gar article. If people would like to go back and read it, it's, it's between the lines. Um, I knew that I had an uh, a third story to tell, shall we say, on that, and I wasn't going to be drawn on, on, on it. Uh, it may well come out ooh, sometime in the future. It may well come out very soon. That's all I'll say. Okay. But it makes perfect sense. Um, the solution to it, as I've hinted to a number of people, is all around them. Uh, they've not seen it. I've hinted he- heavily. I said, uh, there is a clue here. Look at the real world. Hello. Nope. Absolutely nothing. Um, so I've taken a very, very real-world experience, which everybody knows about, even if they don't think they do, and I've shown how those numbers stack up in the real world and how it would really work. I've yeah. got past some army chums as well, and they said, yeah, I'm not sure if people don't see this, uh, but I think when people see it, they're going to go, oh, we didn't think of that. It's about thinking outside the box. Mm, definitely. It's not just about numbers. It's, it, it, it's, it's I don't want to tell people too much. I've, I've had, and it's no secret, I've had uh, a concerted amount of abuse, to put it no better than that, 
from a very small number of people, which has really got on my nerves. And I hope that when they actually see the side of it that I wouldn't tell them, but that they will actually have the grace to say, ah, that is a possible view. It's okay. a matter for them. Well, I hope the message gets through. Um, as a writer and not a game developer, uh, would you like to know if there's any hope to see a sequel to Republic Commando's video game? And that comes from Skylover from France. Right. Uh, I honestly don't know if there's ever going to be another game. Uh, I've certainly heard nothing. Um, if they ever did one, it would be lovely to get to, to get involved with it, but I'm not a games person. I'm not sure I'd automatically be the first person they'd think of, but... Um, uh, it, it would be nice to see more to it. I do actually play the game, badly. Uh, <laughs> anyone who saw me playing it at C3, I just saw Tinnies and I had to kill them, you know, it was as simple as that. But I think, it, I think it's a wonderful game, and, um, and it, I didn't realise how lovely the graphics really were until I got my new 19-inch screen. And they really do look stunning, because, I mean, Greg Knight's art, you know, his concept art is just gorgeous, and it looks fabulous on a big Dell Sharp screen. It's gorgeous. Okay. Um, can you explain the difference between the pre-programmed killers and human soldiers in light of Kels Kirata's override commands uh, for the clones he trained? You know, in the book, uh, there's this moment when Ordo is about to shoot a girl, Anon, but but uh, but Ethan just goes check on him and he stops. Yeah. And that um, creates a little bit of friction. Really pre-programming. I think, it, I think people have to understand the nature of training. If you do something often enough, eventually it becomes muscle memory and it's wired into you. And it's an important part of military training because you do not have time to stand around and argue and think. If someone says cover or down, you do it. And you don't stop and think, what should I do when I hear that? It's got to be done so many times that you don't even think. And I, I think even the neural pathways change and it doesn't go via certain parts of your brain. It is essential. It's the same with firing back. You have to do it without a second thought. Otherwise, you could be the one who's dead. The absolute classic is the amount of drill that you get for, for, uh, for, uh, for gas or, um, or, or, or biohazards. When you hear someone go, gas, 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 you automatically go into this drill. You have not got time to think, oh, what did that mean? Okay. It's a matter of the number of times you do it. If you do it over and over and over. And particularly if you do it from a kid over and over and over, you just don't think. Now, people who don't understand training, if you're a gamer, if you're someone who uses Xbox, a console, or, or if you use a mouse, look at the way you use it. And then look at the way someone like me who doesn't do it every day uses it. I have no muscle memory for it. When I watch my mate Brian's kid uh, and watch him do it, the speed and the coordination, he's not even thinking about it. It's become part of a, of a hardwired movement. There are real neural pathways laid down in his brain that just actually do this because they've been put there. And that's what training is. That really is what it is. It just literally does make it second nature. So Cal thought it was worth giving them a safety command that only he, he, he would use, that would stop them dead. I mean, I don't know about you, but I occasionally have these arguments with my mother that she'll do something quite dangerous, like she'll stand on a chair or something, and I, and I can see it tipping, and I'll say, stop, don't move, and she'll carry on moving, and that annoys me, because when someone says stop to me, I freeze. And, <laughs> and um, I, it, that was the sort of feel that it had, that he wanted to give them this check command that he could stop them. He's really annoyed when someone else uses it. But 
it is it's so hard riding them from an early age that they automatically stop. Okay. They, uh, that's the first thing they'll do, then they'll think about it. And any of us would do that if we were trained, any of us. Yeah, well, I, I can totally understand because when I when I sit down and just try on a new game, uh, whether it's by console or by computer, by PC, um, I just... I just like grab on the mouse, I grab on my WASD and I just like go in the game and get what get get what needs to be done and I just like I'm 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 trained by it now. It's, it's fashion even typing now. Yeah, type typing. It's perfect. about muscle memory and how long it takes you to form a mental map of your environment. And that's just by doing simple things like uh, if you've got a waste bin in a certain position in the room and you always throw your paper in there, try moving it. And see how long it takes you before you, re- you, you automatically go to the new position. And it will vary with an age, and it will vary with all sorts of other things, but it is fascinating. I often, I often move my, uh, my coffee in the kitchen just to see how long it takes me to learn to automatically reach for the same cupboard. It sort of reminds me what muscle memory is. Okay. This is sort of a crazy thing that writers do. I mean, normal people do not do this, but crazy writers, we do all this crazy stuff like staying up 72 hours to see what it feels like, like to be very tired, you know, carrying 100, 100 pound kit bags to see what it feels like, and, and moving coffee around to see what your muscle memory's like. <laughs> um, another question from Fizior Shifting in errors from Clone Wars to Legacy. How did that change things, and can we expect any ties between the between the work uh, that you've done so far? In terms of sorry, uh, how different were, were they? Sorry, I, I only caught part of that question. Well, you got two different eras. Uh, you got the Clone Wars, and you have the Legacy, which is actually after the Yuuzhan and Vong Wars. Yeah. Um, how how difficult was it to work in those two different eras? And is there something that we're going to see that links them together? For instance, a Mandalorian Jedi, but that's just my call? Mm, no. Um, Damn. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Uh, obviously, they all fit in, into, into, into the continuity, and one affects the other. Um, and Boba's in it, which I suppose is the link, really, between the two. Um, the difference for me was purely uh, picking up characters that weren't mine. Fine. Uh, the really difficult thing was the detail of the continuity. And I'll be back on to Troy saying, what are the colour of the afterburners on this? Because there's no point in giving me dark nester again because I actually looked through it and I didn't retain any of it because that's what I'm like. So I had to keep pestering the poor man. And it's the little things like the colour of... of you know, of, of iron cannon discharge and all this sort of thing that really gets to me because I'm, because I'm, I'm very petty about detail like, like that. Um, it was very nice to write characters that weren't mine. It was a, it was a nice break into something new that I hadn't done before and, and that was fascinating and uh, I really enjoyed that. Okay. Uh, in terms of, well, there, there, there is one character, uh, not from the RC books, but there is one character... Uh, who gets another met mention uh, in the, the legacy thing? A very, very minor one. It's an original character, very minor, but everyone will spot it and go, "Oh, isn't that sweet?" So I just throw that so that in as a little teaser. But it's not. It isn't a main character, and it's not a major part of the plot. Okay. I guess my hopes for Mandalorian Jedi just died then. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what people mean by a man's orange. Like, if they're thinking of someone in armor, really, a lightsaber, I mean, mm, um, uh Well, I'm not, I'm not saying something like, you know, Barden Jusek, who's almost been adopted by Kals Kirata, but yet is a yeah, Jedi. Yeah, poor little lad, yeah. Um, <laughs> what age it would be by the time of Legacy. Yeah. I mean, Jedi live a bit longer, don't, don't, don't they? They actually, yeah, they actually live longer than most people. But but I'm just I, I'm just okay okay I'll draw a discreet veil over over that one so uh, I can see people want to see Jusic coming back but I'm not sure if I can manage that. Well, not maybe not Jusic, but maybe some descendants of someone else. I'm just throwing that in. <laughs> right. Okay. I I really doubt it's going to happen. I've had with people on the board to indicate to me that people are thinking one way and I'm thinking a totally different one, and I'm thinking oh. They really can't see where I'm going on this, can they? I'm, I'm just deviant. I'm just deviant, that's all. I think you have to, yeah, as long as you accept I've got a deviant mind, you might be able to guess what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've been in our studios live at C3, so we're starting to get ideas now. <laughs> oh, right, right. Um, there's, uh, there's Jim, who's got a question about uh, merchandising. How many items of clones slash Boba Fett do you own? Oh dear. Um, this is my guilty secret. Well, it isn't a guilty secret because everyone knows. Uh, right now I can look around and I've got, I've got, well, the guy I call Sergeant Fox, uh, which is the uh, 501st Trooper, which is the, and I never know if I pronounce this right, Kotobukiya? You know, the lovely Japanese model. Yes. Well, I've got the Fox, I've also got the Django. No, sorry, I've got the Boba, I've got another Django. These are all the big ones. I've got, I've got my Ordo, my lovely Ordo, which is the maquette, um, <laughs> which is Fordo, to be honest, but, you know, they all, the uniform is just the same, that's the important thing. And I've got another kind of trip, and I've got some more on order. Um, <laughs> and it gets worse, but I'm not sure. Uh, I've got the shot glasses, so, oh, and I've got the cookie jar. And, um, yeah, you can see this is really getting to be a bit of a problem, can't you? <laughs> 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 you you, you are... <laughs> and then let's not forget your lovely verpine that you just oh, got. Oh, my lovely verp. Oh, yes, this is wonderful. Um, for those of you who haven't heard this story, um, I have a very good friend called Ray Ramirez. Ray was an insider reader who I got quite pally with. And Ray is the guy who's my first reader on uh, on the novels and he looks at the technical detail for me. And when I did Triple Zero, uh, I wanted a nice sniper rifle. And you know how I love my verpines. Um, <laughs> Everyone said, you can't have verpine, though. Yes, I can. Ryan said I could have a verpine, so I have a verpine in, in, in hard contact. And I wanted to continue, because I'd rather like them, because they're not blasters, because they've got real, they've got real sort of uh, ballistic qualities, and I can actually do more detail on them that is real world. And I said to Ray, I'm going to do a sniper rifle. Now, Ray is a sniper. So I said, if I give you a sort of my wish list of what I think a sniper rifle should do, you tell me if I've got it right, and what will it look like? So they went through this and we talked about it and he actually brought it to life. He actually drew one and then he made a model of it and it turned up this week and it is magnificent, absolutely magnificent. And uh, if anyone's interested, there are links to the picture on my Star Wars blog and on my live journal, but it is gorgeous, utterly gorgeous. 
doesn't work, of course, just as well, given my cranky temper, but it's a beautiful thing. I'm very grateful to Ray for doing it for me. He also did me uh, a beautiful helmet, which is, which is uh, uh, the replica of uh, Carol's helmet from Triple Zero. And it's just lovely. But again, when the, uh, when next time the plumber comes and sees that, I think I'm in serious trouble. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a final question from, from Fizior. Uh, how would you like, well, how would you feel if other authors used your characters and referenced them into other books? No, I, 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 would, I would feel fine. I mean, that happens all the, all the time, doesn't it? I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm using other, other people's characters. Um, everyone does it. Everyone does it. I'm not sure if anyone actually wants to do mine, but uh, if, I'm, if I'm using people like Mara, uh, and uh, Mara's Tim's, then, you know, uh, obviously we're all using, using the major characters from the movies who are George's so yeah everyone uses everyone, everyone's characters and I think I have to accept that they're going to interpret them differently because I interpret other people's characters and original characters the way I see them and none of us see people the same way I mean we, we, we all know people that we think are great and someone else will say oh but they're, they're awful and you have to see the person as you see them themselves and so I think I think it's one of the things that I've got to get used to if, if somebody does it then they does it and, you know, as simple as that um uh, not necessarily a problem. Okay. Uh, Wookie Mart actually has a question, and I'm going to twist and turn it because I also had a similar question. Mm-hmm. When I was reading the evacuation of uh, Omega by Delta, mm-hmm. the only thing I could picture with the zero-G gravity and all that was one of Joss Whedon's Firefly episodes. I've never seen Firefly, sadly. Uh, I know everyone's berating me for it, and I haven't seen Battlestar Galactica either, other than the trailers. Uh, so I, I actually haven't seen Firefly. Okay. And I know that uh, I know that, that Andrew Liptak is going to kill me because I'm seeing him in a, in a couple of weeks, and he keeps saying, "Have you have you seen it yet? Have you seen it?" <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm never sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm still going to ask the question from Wookie Mart. Given yeah. the opportunity, would you write for the upcoming TV series? And to that I'm going to add, how would you feel if the TV series was about Republic Commandos? Um, if you ask me what I would like, I think it would be lovely to have a chance to write for TV, because I've done pretty well writing for, you know, for every other medium, uh, and I haven't done drama for TV. Obviously I worked in television for, for many years, but uh, that would be lovely to do it, and if they were to do a Republic Commando TV, that would be absolutely wonderful. I think the chances of me getting involved with it are zero because uh, TV companies use their own people and they've got loads of, 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 of proper screenwriters out there who've already done it, who they would call first. But I'd, it would be lovely to do it, absolutely lovely. And I'd obviously love to see them on the screen. That would be marvellous. I mean, it was enough of a thrill seeing them come to life uh, in the game. So actually seeing them on TV, if, even if it was CGI, actually I would really like to see the CGI version. That would be wonderful. I was actually watching a little show that came out of uh, Vancouver called Shadow Raiders, and there's a lot of Star Wars references, but I was watching the first, uh, the first show of the series this week, and the actual armors the guys are wearing are, are very similar to uh, Republic Commando's armor, and I'm like, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to see a CGI RC, like, tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean... 
you have to say when you, when you actually see the CGI that it's fabulous. Um, the the Starship Troopers CGI that I thought, oh, I thought that was just marvellous. I really loved that. That was that, that looked fabulous. That really did look good, and it's improved so much. I mean, it's amazing the sort of leaps that it's made in recent years. Yeah, that that would be very cool. That would be very cool. Okay, uh, we get a question from Luton Nois. Uh, how tough is Mandalorian armor? Could Cal's armor stop a lightsaber? Uh, he's got proper Mando iron uh, armor. Um, I'm always a bit worried about Boba's armor, to be honest. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not hearing the question, but when I look in the Kron, he's got a lot of jewels still on his armor as Boba, and I'm thinking, come on, son, you, you want you want the proper kit, you want the Mandalorian armor, you want the best kind of gun. Um, I I am actually told that it could stop a lightsaber. Um, Depends where, where where you hit him and how hard you hit him, really. And it depends whether he's got a virtual fast or not. But no, I, I actually do say in Triple uh, Zero that he's got his Mandalorian armor. And that it's proper iron. Because uh, I think there's order, he says to him something like, um, uh, don't forget you've not got armor on, and he says, don't forget you've not got Mandalorian iron on, son. Which I think sums it up. He's got enormous faith in it. Yeah. It's... That's just it. It's it's the boys. <laughs> um, there's a few remarks that came in while we were doing the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tahiri, Tahiri mentions that crawling in the character's head, like you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. it yeah. doesn't sound crazy at all. It sounds like a role player, and there are three role players that think it's awesome that you do it too. Ah, now that, someone else said that to me. I've never done role role playing games. Um, I must admit, I. Th- when, when I talk to other writers, I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about Star Wars writers, when I talk to other novelists, I'm aware I don't work the way they work. I, as I say, I'm not, I'm not a reader. I've come to fiction from film and radio and TV and comics. That was what I was brought up on. And I suddenly realised that the way I put a plot together is more like a game or a, or a sim-type thing, that I actually do let characters interact. So I think I've, I've probably got more in common in terms of how I develop plots and characters with people who, who do role-playing games. Yeah, but interesting that they say that. Oh, no, that, no that's really nice, nice, nice for them to say that. It is, it is nice to know that I'm not mad. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, come on. I want you to say it. Just admit you've got four different buckets at home, one for each commando. I haven't. This is the awful thing. I haven't even got a scorch. I haven't got the little Hasbro scorch even. Um, I haven't done that. That's awful. No. Well, we're going to have... I haven't got the bronze um, statue either. Ryan's got one. You know the little bronze uh, statue that they did with the public commandos, the little collector's one that was on uh, the official site? Well, Ryan's got yeah. one. I'm jealous of anything. It, it... Ah, well. <laughs> and it was a really nice statue. Oh, lovely. Absolutely gorgeous, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think this is one of the things that I, I sometimes forget that, you know, me and Ryan basically lived and breathed Republic Commando for those months, and we lived in each other's heads, in each other's pockets through email, and we got to know each other very, very well, and we're obviously very good friends. And it's sometimes funny that you sometimes think that there's only one other person in the world you can have these jokes with, you know, there's some very, if you saw the emails that passed between us, um, I really would like Ryan to do it as a sketch at a con sometime. <laughs> Utterly hilarious spy on the wall things from the Jedi Council, from the sort of training camp. And I've just literally choked on my tea here when he sent them through. So we have this sort of, we sort of back these back and forth, but he's done this soap opera. <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass him by going into details. 
but I just laughed until I was nearly sick. It was so funny. Oh, dear me. And obviously it featured Darwin, so it was, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we're going to cap up this interview with one last question. Mm-hmm. It come from the great Zdini himself. By that I mean Danny, of course. Oh, right, yeah. A.K.A. Lunatic. <laughs> and Zdini. <laughs> um, how hard is it to develop a full language? And did you inspire yourself from an existing language or dialect for the Mandalorians? It sort of ambushed me. Uh, I didn't set out to do it. I didn't set out to go as far as I did, but then that's the story of my life. Um, when I was writing Hard Contact, Ryan said to me, I've got the lyrics from Jeff Harney. Would these be of any use to you? I said, what are they? He said, oh, it's going to be uh, the soundtrack of the game. I said, well, fling it over, over here. And I read it, and, well, you know I use chunks of it in hard contact, but I thought, ooh, I'm, these guys got a language. I need to know where that comes from, I need to know what it sounds like, I need to know all these things. So I said to Jesse, look, do you mind if I develop this? She said, that's fine. So next thing I knew, I had a vocabulary and all sorts of things, and I'm thinking, I need a whole language, because the language tells you everything about the people. Now, I knew what Jesse had started with. He wanted a soft sound. He didn't want it to sound like all the guttural languages, all the guttural alien languages like Klingon. I'm not, I'm not dissing Klingon. Klingons are lovely people. I like Klingons. Some of my best friends are Klingons. Um, so he wanted something quite soft. So he picked uh, a, a little bit of Latin. He's got those sort of sounds and rhythms, and and he uh, and he picked uh, Magyar. He picked the Hungarian uh, languages, and. Listening to it, I've got a sort of feel for the sound. Now, I know it sounds daft. I start from meter, from rhythm. Although I'm not a musical person. When I actually write that side, that's how I come up with names. I actually have to have a rhythm like da-da-da-da-da. Da-da, that sort of thing. So I had this rhythm, and I had the stresses, and I had the accents. So I started sort of then thinking what the, word, the rest of the words would sound like. I started deconstructing uh, the, the lyrics. And I thought, well, what sort of grammatical structure are they going to have? And I, I, I did it from basic principles. Uh, I'm not a linguist, although I did study that languages. And I thought, well, what would a Mandalorian want? Uh, how would they see time? How would they see the world around them? And I really took it from there. And then I had another look at some of the words that, that I knew that were sort of part of my background. I said, like the Romani uh, words that come from, from the Balkans area and uh, the Gurkha language, because well, you obviously know I'm very keen on Gurkhas, and I looked at Odu and other languages, and obviously I, I, I did classics, so Latin was one of the subjects that I studied. And there was all, I also did Hebrew, so there's this real feel of a sort of Hebrew rhythm to it in a lot of places. And the, the amalgam that turned out from a sort of Eastern Euro European Latin base with a bit of Hebrew on the top, Everyone said the same thing, that it did sound like a Russian version of Gaelic with a Hebrew rhythm. And yet none of the words come from there. It's purely about uh, the sort of mouthfeel of it, the sounds. All the words evolved. If you actually go through the dictionary, you can probably see the roots of some of them. I think people are coming back to me now saying, did you get this word by doing that with that word? And there were very few words that I sort of just threw in for a laugh. I said not a laugh, a uh, uh, a sort of token, uh, sort of uh, homage type words like like Dinlo and Burigan and Wai, which is my favourite. I like Wai. Um, basically, I just it, it evolved that and it sort of took over. I mean, Ryan was on the receiving end of a lot of this, as was Ray, because I'd say, oh, look, can you look at the latest dictionary, see what you can do with it? And it just sort of grew, and it was really odd to watch a language grow 
and I wasn't sure how it was growing, but I was trying to name things. And I think I found almost how a, how a child tries to grow for language uh, is that you need a word for something. So you actually start describing it. And that's how it happens. Um, I know any linguist would look at it and go, oh dear, you shouldn't have done that. You should have started somewhere else on that. But it just happened. So it was more of ignorance and enthusiasm than any intelligence. I can assure you that. Well, in, in all honesty, I think, I think you just did an incredible job. And I, I will mention, I did take a look at the grammar page uh, f- straight from your website, and I got scared. So I just, I just stuck to the lexicon. But it's, yeah. in, the, it's in the weeks to come to, to take a look at all the grammar and all that. Yeah, the grammar is simple. I think that's what makes it hard for people is they can't believe it's that simple because it is ambiguous. Yeah. So it's all about context. Okay. Yeah, the intensities are incredibly simple. I suppose I was I was sort of partly traumatized by doing Latin for so many years and having to conjugate verbs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, from the person who actually asked that question, uh, since he couldn't be here in in studio today, I would like to uh, thank you very much for the story of Officer Pepin. uh, That uh, was published in the uh, in Insider Number Eighty Five. Yeah. Think. Yeah. So thank 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 you very much for that. And he wants to know how do you pronounce the name? Oh, what, how, how how I pronounce it? Oh dear, I do I actually say Pepin. I do actually say Pepin. Okay. So oh, that that was the question. Actually, whether I was whether Officer Pepin was Pepin. Yes, he is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, he was just wondering how you were pronouncing it. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's funny you asked that because it, it, didn't, it didn't occur to me to actually pronounce it any other way. But it's a nice name to work with because uh, it's not, for an English speaker, it didn't automatically sort of sound very earthbound. It could be anything because it's relatively short. So, um, but, I, you know, but I had to immortalize it, especially after what I did to Ryan with Lukowski. Uh Okay, well, we got two questions from the chat. And uh-huh. I, I just have to throw them to you because they're really good questions. Okay. First one from Lieutenant Nois. Uh, where exactly does Cal and Ethan's relationship stand at the end of triple zero? Right. Uh, well, it comes with an uneasy truth is that he's given her no choice that uh, she goes off and uh, and deals with her pregnancy. Uh, she accelerates it and uh, she brings the child back and he brings it up. Yep. Simple as that. And uh, she's got no choice with him because she knows what he'd do. Um, well, she thinks she knows what he'd do. She, is ob- she obviously can see that he's, 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 a, he's a man who would do absolutely anything for his boy. And of course, you know, you see the way he goes at her. He ha- this is all her fault. He never crosses his mind that this could have had anything to do with Darman, you know. Um, but it's all the girl's fault and uh, his, his boys can do no wrong. So, you know, she has a hard time for him, to be honest. I mean, she's come to terms with it, but she's got something for the first time in her life that, that, that is hers, that she can love. I mean, she's... And they've been taken from her, really. She's in exactly the same position that the clones are. She's no different. Okay. Um, and the last and final question. So, people, you can stop sending in questions. We're sorry. Karen has to go to bed at some point. Um, Dark Moose touched a very, very nice little part of our fandom interest. Yeah. Um, if you cannot do a TV show, yeah. Would you ever consider writing for an audio drama? You know, something like a podcast. Uh, do you think? Don't you think it would be cool to listen to Omega? Love to and do radio, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, radio, funny enough, is the one thing that's been missing from my life. I did a tiny bit. I stood in for someone. I did a couple of programs, but I went from newspapers to TV. And I, I really do like radio, and radio drama fascinates me. Um, the, I, out of the very few books I've read, and I have read one or two in my life, but I think it's no secret that my absolute favourite is Harry Harrison's Field the Galactic Hero, which I read at 13, and I reread it every, every few years. And I had the privilege of meeting Harry, and, and he actually signed it. We, we, we won a panel together at the Worldcon, which is really quite something when you've, you know, someone you've read at 13, you're actually done with them. And I heard the, the adaptation of the other book that goes with that stuff. Um, there was another one called Star Smashers the Galaxy Rangers. And I heard the radio adaptation of that. And knowing the book so well, and then hearing the radio adaptation, I'm astonished by how well people do that. I mean, I'm really looking forward to the audio books from Legacy for that reason, because they are very clever, you know, they're very cleverly shortened and summarised. But I'd love to actually do some radio, because I love dialogue. And to a certain extent, you know, perhaps I am writing dialogue with a bit of action so yeah I'd love to have a go at that love to well you're welcome to contact us anytime Karen <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you've got a deal I'll get my people to talk to your people <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me <laughs> um, so uh, before before I finish the entire interview uh, just earlier today we called and uh, we mentioned you doing the Star Wars on direct bit but oh, yeah. in Mendoad so you got all your things ready and... I certainly have, if you want to cue me in. Sure. Hang on, let me just... Uh, yep. Okay, yep. Whenever you're ready. All right, So, kui bochave mi kan chavis balgara susula ato Star Wars on direct gai kap. Yohad pe Star Wars la cha tomato. And I'll translate for those of you who are not Mandela speakers. Uh, good evening, friends. I'm Karen Travis, and you're listening to Star Wars On Direct, the voice of Star Wars fandom. So you've got a brand new word there, Shartomade, fandom, fans. Cool. <laughs> well, that is awesome. And um, I have to mention this now at the end of this interview. Do you know who Mark Ockrand is? Yes, he's the guy who, who uh, built Klingon. Yeah, he's a linguist, yeah. Okay. Well, basically, right now, where the Star Wars fandom stands, we need something, you know, to unite the fans and to somewhat gives us a new purpose, something to hold on to. And in a recent interview I did for television, the TV host asked me if there was a special language in Star Wars, and I answered, no, it, it's basically basic and it's English. But, but now we finally have something to hold on to. You just brought us a new point of view, and basically you brought, you, you brought us the Klingon of the Star Wars universe within the Mandalorians. And you actually gave us a language that we're going to be able to, to like teach ourselves and just enjoy speaking it, and it's going to be awesome. And I can, I can promise you that within the next three years, you're going to be walking through the halls of conventions and some baichi are going to be coming out of of of, uh, of costumes, and some people are going to be talking to themselves in Mandoat. I'm sure. That would be wonderful. That is lovely. Uh, that would that would give me such pleasure. It's been enormous fun actually, just sort of uh, messing around with fans on the on, on the boards, trying it out, and seeing how fast people learn it and adapt it. So that would be just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. 
Yeah. Well, thank you very much for all that. Uh, I'm going to finish the interview by, by asking you to stay on the, uh, on, on the line. Uh, we're actually going to go listen to Back in Black, just because the boys are back in black in the book. Uh-huh, and it yeah. was just so funny, I, I just had to kick that in. Yeah. And uh, to close up it's, this... It's been a wonderful pleasure to, to uh, be on the show. It's lovely to talk to you again. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. And just to prove my point that I was making earlier... Uh, oh, actually, I'm running for president... Do you support me as the Star Wars official fan club president, Karen? Uh, have, I, have I actually got a vote? Because I'm not a member of the fan club. Damn. <laughs> yeah, but then you do have a vote. Because it's yeah. by joining the fan club that you get a vote. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Let's, 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 let's talk about the bribe you're going to give me later when we get off air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine is nice and juicy, too, so don't worry. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to finish this interview by just proving my point. I'm going to say, Vorentie par oralier Karen. Thank you very much for being with us tonight, Karen. A lovely accent. Thank you very much. Good night. And good night to, to, uh, to you. We'll be uh, right back to Star Wars on Direct, the voice of Star Wars fandom, right after this short musical break.
and welcome back to Star Wars on Direct, the voice of Star Wars fandom. And, uh, yeah, that was a great interview with Karen Travis, and uh, if you haven't picked up Triple Zero, I highly recommend you do. Um, what we're going to do now, since it's almost seven, uh, we're going to close the show on this. Wait, 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 the show has to start, it's almost seven. Next week... <laughs> Next week, we will be going deeply into details of Star Wars Republic Commando, and that way, a lot, of mo- a lot more people will have been able to finish reading it, getting through times. Uh, actually, Karen mentioned on her, on her live journal that when you read it a second time, you're going to see things that you missed the first time. Yeah, I see a lot of details, but I, but I always pick up stuff that, you know... Yeah, most I, people I never, I ne- I, Most people don't. So I've seen some things that are really cool and stuff. It's, I was honestly, I was going through that book, and in my mind, I was picturing a big episode of Firefly by Josh Whedon. It's great. So, I I, I almost got off. I almost missed the Metro because I was reading it. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, no, no, no. I better check what station is. I look up Jari. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, like you ran out. I, I like I was sitting right next to the door, so it yeah. wasn't that bad. So I just like spun out. But okay. if I, like. I the doors. I could have ended up in Arkansas. The door just started closing when you did that. Um, so uh, yeah, that's it. It's uh, it's an it's a really incredible book. And um, earlier I was talking about Dark Moose, uh, and we actually asked a bunch of questions from this guy. Uh, Dark Moose, buddy. Uh, you know what? I think that I'm Aiton, and you're Wallen Val. And I think we got to put the past behind us now, and uh, just be good buddies. And uh, hopefully you'll come back to the chat, and uh, you'll come have you'll, you'll come back and have fun with us uh, every week from now and then. And ask good questions. And you ask very very good questions, especially like the last one. I really like the last one. Yeah, me too. That was really like getting me in the soft spot. Congratulations. <laughs> so. Um, in the meanwhile, until uh, until next week's show, where we're going to go more into details about Republic Commando, I uh, recommend you go by KarenTravis.com. Uh, check out her live journal. She's got a few insights on the book over there that, that are uh, interesting to read about. And uh, on their website, you can find two lexicon, one grammar book, well, uh, one grammar page for Mandalore. Uh, you have two lexicon. What's once is one is English to Mandalorian, and the other one is Mandalorian to English. So they're really nice. And I, I got them in my pocket piece. <laughs> it's just how sick I am about this thing. <laughs> I am gonna learn a new language. Yes, and it's not gonna be Spanish. Because <laughs> Mando, I you'll you'll have uh, lots of views for that. Oh yeah, it's like <laughs> so you're gonna have to learn it too, so I can talk to you, and people won't understand a word of what I'm saying. Good, <laughs> but hopefully you will. Let's, let's hope so. I'm not very good at learning languages. I'm sure you will, because it's very easy to to to, to actually learn. Um, all right. Well, uh, this is the month of March, and we're on our way to the uh, live show from Ad Astra. So, if you're in the Toronto vicinity for the last weekend of March, April 1st and April 2nd, we um, Invite you to come to Adastra first of all, and second of all, we ask we we, we invite you to come to the show. Uh, it it should be on Sunday night. We're gonna we're gonna check out all of the details, and we'll make sure to get back to you about this as the week get by near. Brian, so tell me, 
Who's in the chat with us still right now? We have Addy Admiral, Cocky171, Dark Moose, Dark Fool, uh, sorry, Darth Fool, uh, DJ Caddy, Kazra Gambler Goddess, uh, Jaina, Jim Swallow, Lunatic, Matab, uh, Nina, Skylover, Snakes, Tahiri, Terra, uh, Tiger Claw, Wookie Mart, and Lieutenant Nois. Alright, well, thank, thank you, you. very much for being here with us tonight. Uh, it was an, in- an incredible show, I think we can say. And it's safe to tell you now that, uh, of course, Karen will be coming back to the show eventually. And uh, since I'm very ashamed of what I did last year with the Mandalorian Culture Show, and now that we got like tons of material back on the road, well, we're gonna take we're gonna do a retake on that show, and uh, we're gonna do a lot of research, and we're we're gonna take you into like three hours of pure Mandalorian culture, and uh, we're gonna have. Uh, we're going to have tons of fun doing it. And we promise you it's not going to be reading from a book. And just for Noel, who's in Puerto Rico and speaks Spanish, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Spanish. I'm just <laughs> saying it's not the next language I'm going to learn. Because <laughs> I, can, I can actually like listen to people talking in Spanish, and I'll somewhat understand them. So it's, I'm, I'm almost halfway there. It's not that easy. It's a Latin-based you have language. You Daniel Malbeni? That, wh- yeah, what okay. is that? You speak Spanish I not s- very well? I speak Spanish not Un very poquito. well. Un poquito. Un poquito. Si. A little bit. Si, senora. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and that's when I do the entire closing of the show in Spanish. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> Where did that came no, from? <laughs> well, you know what? We'll work on that because I tell you what, it's, it's fun. It's fun to do. Yeah, I'd love to see you do it. Careful. <laughs> I think it'd be hilarious. It would be hilarious. But right now, I'm going to tell you that the next show will be on Sunday, March 12th. It's going to be back on regular time, unless you guys want to do it early again. I don't know. It's up to you. Yeah. I, I was I was telling Arnie. I'll, I'll do a I'll do a we'll put a put a poll in the feedback thread. See what uh, people like. For sure. I, w- I was telling Arnie uh, earlier. It's like, wow, these guys are really going fast. We should do this out more often. <laughs> It was incredible. You did an incredible job today, guys. Congratulations. All right. So it's going to be on March 12th, and it's going to be back in regular time at 1900 hours. Uh, we're going to be talking about Republic Commando Triple Zero, the entire detail of the story and all that. Of course, if you've got any comments about the show or that you would like to make suggestions for upcoming subjects, please send an email to studio at swendirect.com, or you can leave a message on our blog and our message boards. To become a partner or a sponsor, you can send an email to info at swendirect.com and we'll contact you back with all the details. If you like the show, we suggest that you talk about it around yourself. Word to mouth is, after all, the best policy we can have by our listeners. Bring a friend to the next show, add our URL to your message board signatures, and, very important, since this is our first show of the month of March, go vote for us on Podcast Alley. Every month. Podcastalley.com. Very, very important for yeah. people. Bring in some more people. I'm yeah. telling you, it's going to cost me more bandwidth, but that's okay. <laughs> also, go add yourself to the Frapper list. Yeah, we want to see where you cool. are. We have uh, a new listener from uh, South America. Welcome in. Andres. Hi, Andres. Hello to you. Buenos dias. That, are, that's are right. Mock me. Mock Wait. me. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Hola. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, thank you to all of our sponsors Federationtoys.com SitClan.net 
simple-net.ca, our web host who's allowing us to broadcast every week from uh, this wonderful town of Montreal, Sci-Fi Podcast Network, which can be found at tsfpn.com, and of course, all of our partners. In the bloodonline.com, the Star Wars aficionados, planetfandom.com, hail to the fanboys and girls, as well as furryconflict.com, Trek Wars, the furry conflict audio drama, and not to forget, Silent Universe, J. Marcus Xavier's latest project, which is uh, really interesting. You should go take a listen at it. Anakin and his angel.com, nerf anonymousnet the largest collection of Star Wars references and actors on the internet. Millennium Falcon, Galactic Hunter, who are keeping collectors on target week after week. T-Bone Star Wars Universe, the Galactic, message, the Galactic Senate Message Board, and StarWarsFanWorks.com, the home of Star Wars fan audio, available at StarWarsWithAZ.com. All the links to these great folks are available through our website at www.swendirect.com. And uh, from all of us here at Star Wars on Direct, this is Sebastian saying, Vorentie par which means thank you in the wonderful language of Mandalorians. It's like, I did some research for this show. Proud of myself. And I actually read the book for this show. <laughs> Doubly proud of myself. I think you should be triply proud. You did an amazing interview. Thank you. Thank you. So for all of us here, I'm saying see you next time on Star Wars on Direct, the voice of Star Wars fandom. You were listening to Star Wars on Direct. The voice of Star Wars fandom. sure to visit www.swonzerec.com for more information about upcoming shows. This show has been brought to you by SimpleNet. Webmasters, online gamers, or administrators of e-business. At SimpleNet, we will always have a solution to meet your needs.